Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 167. We are recording on a chilly Sunday night, uh, but I am joined first and foremost by my illustrious co-host, Stacey Patton. That's at Stacey Patton 89. Stacey, how are you? Illustrious as always. So. Yes, that's the nicest thing I think I've ever... That's probably the nicest intro I've ever given. Uh, to you or maybe anybody. Uh, but we are also joined by the arch enemy of mixed Twitter and the author of the mid range theory. His name is Seth Partnow. That's at Seth Partnow on Twitter. Seth, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me back. It's, uh, it is always uh, a pleasure to wander into the lion's den. <laughs> well, it's always good to have you here. But before we get started, I do need to mention that the Strickland does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There's many tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where we talk about the Knicks and the Sopranos and Forrest Gump and many, many other things at all times. Uh, currently, we just talk about trades. It's great. Um, but there's also further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by Matt Matthew Miranda and Jack Huntley two of the best Knicks and basketball writers out there. It also gets you access to my solo podcast. If you want to listen to me yell and scream and bitch and moan about the Knicks even more, uh, you can subscribe to that. There's further tiers beyond that, a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50, $100. That gets you access to a variety of things like merchandise discounts, uh, sitting in on pod recordings, even potentially co-hosting a pod. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. Without you, none of this would be possible. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Um, I, I don't actually want to talk too specifically about the Lakers game, but I do think the Lakers game is interesting in the sense of, I think it laid bare a lot of the specific issues that Knicks fans have been arguing with each other and have had with Tibbs and you know the direction of kind of this season. Um, that have been occurring all season. I thought it all kind of was in that one game. And, um, you know, Seth, I know that I'll just throw it to you here because you tweeted out, what is it? That top in quickly and Grimes had played a combined, what, 32 minutes or something? Uh, like that, 29 minutes. 20, and, if, yeah. and, you know, if you wanted to throw Reddish in there too, I mean, right. <laughs> played zero minutes. So the four yeah. of them combined for, for 29 minutes. Now, obviously, you don't know the game's going to overtime. So it's not like, oh, he played these guys 49 minutes, but it like the extra five is kind of just a like a tack on. But still, like that's not ideal, I don't think, in any way. Yeah, I think so. This is where I have continuously really struggled with it. Um, and it's something that I there are people that are like, well, you know, he's trying to win games and like and that's fine. Like okay, he's trying to win games, and you know he's gonna okay, fine. But like, like quickly is a good example of this. Yesterday he played five minutes. Did he play a great five minutes? No, I thought he was pretty bad. Um, but he but 
over the course of that entire season, and yes, he's shot like crap this since t- in the year 2022 so far. But over the course of the season, the Knicks have miraculously played better with him on the floor, which is in line with how they played better with him on the floor last year. Um, there's clearly things he does on the court that go beyond his shooting efficiency. Um, now, I don't particularly have a problem if in a game a guy's playing like shit and a coach is just like, he wants to send a message or drive something home and you just pull him from the rotation for that game. That doesn't bother me that much. Why it bothers me in this case, though, is because I have had to sit here for, what are 53 fucking games, and I've had to watch multiple stretches of Kemba Walker shitting and pissing on himself, Julius Randle shitting and pissing on himself, various veteran players shitting and pissing on themselves, with seemingly no such harsh uh very repercussions. very repercussions and that is what drives me nuts because if you're gonna do it too quickly then why is Kemba Walker getting eight minutes to start the second half I mean the guy literally passed up an open layup to throw it back <laughs> to RJ Barrett like this comes after a game against Memphis by the way where within the first two minutes of the second half he front rimmed a three the offensive rebound came literally into his hands, and he walked into an uncontested elbow jumper from the free throw line. And what did he do? He did not hit rim. That's what he did. It was a complete air ball. And he got to play until the four minute mark of that game, or the four minute mark of the third quarter in that game, too. I think there's probably some weird showcase, like whatever, but like at the same time, you can't have it both ways as a fan or a critic or whatever. You can't say that he's trying to hold quickly accountable, but then say, well, it's okay when he doesn't do it with vets because he's trying to win games or like, you know, he's under pressure from the front office to showcase guys. Like, it's got to be one or the other. You can't have these moving goalposts because you don't want to accept that, yes, Tibbs, shock, horror, not a perfect coach. Like, it is okay to like Tibbs. And blame him for things that you think he's fucking up. I like Tibbs. I think there are things he does well. I also think there, that there are things that he does that are extremely annoying and that he can be a jackass about it. I, I looked this up today. I would imagine this is like very only unique to the Knicks. Evan Fournier, I think, has played all but one game for the Knicks this year. Julius Randle has played whatever. They, they both played a shit ton of minutes. They've started every game they've played. They played a ton of minutes. Evan Fournier has not, he's played a grand total of 108 minutes this season without Julius Randle. Like the lack of experimentation and all of this stuff, it was all there on display yesterday and it drove me nuts. And I thought your tweet about at least, we'll get to the RJ Barrett stuff because I don't agree with you on that one. But <laughs> on the, the minutes, like I just, I, I'm 100% there. I thought, you know, I just didn't understand a lot of it last night. And then it was like, well, you know, quickly play bad. So, you know, who else could he go to? And I'm like, well, maybe just don't fucking immediately pull quickly from the rotation because he had a bad five minutes. Like, I don't know. I think he's earned a little bit more than that this season, Um, especially if we're going to fucking trot out the corpse of Kemba Walker and whatever Nerlens was doing last night. Uh, You know, I don't, I just don't understand. That was weird to me. Just not not to interrupt, but like, I I was lost. Like, why was Nerlens getting so many more minutes? Mitch wasn't really in foul trouble, I don't believe. He wasn't. In any that country. was the weirdest part of that because he was playing well. I was just telling him said this. I think he's been our best player this season. 
uh, or at least certainly recently, and you know that's up for debate maybe. But that was really weird to me that Netherlands got so many minutes. So my my favorite part about all that is um, just that that the 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 software we're recording this on has sort of the uh, the sound waves of of uh, you know someone speaking. And just the the amplitude of uh, on that rant just kind of gradually and gradually increased until all of a sudden it's like off the top of my screen almost. So I that was I, <laughs> that was just sort of like <laughs> the, I, I enjoyed that. Um, no, I think that like you covered a lot of things. First of all, like the notion that Tim's is like showcasing a guy at the behest of the front office. Um, I think there I think there's two words you can say demonstrate how untrue that is that's cam reddish like mm-hmm. if if this was a situation where you know hey work with us here we want to see something cam reddish would be would be you know at least a minor part of the rotation now i you know i don't know if we talked about this but i've i think my my feelings about cam reddish are pretty well known like i i would not expect like massively great things from him but you traded for him you're you're taking a chance, a reasonable chance. I like that trade for him, even if I don't love the player. Um, but if it's if you're going to trade for the guy and then never use him, it's awful. It's just you know, it's you lit a cigar with a hundred dollar bill, uh, <laughs> you know, a bad cigar at that. Um, so yeah, so I don't think that's the case. I think it's 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 you know the combination of of the extreme rigidity. And that and that doesn't just take like that does that's not just the uh, the rotations that's the the sets you know the the mm-hmm. the the biggest like the Knicks were were you know okay there's a talent deficit sure but the lack of any sort of, of spontaneity creativity quickness of movement was badly exposed against the Hawks in the playoffs last year and that's been I to me a pretty running like aside from like the first ten days of the season when Kemba looked pretty decent. Like, I, I feel like that's been a pretty universal theme of the season. Um, and obviously like that, that comes mostly to a head with the, with Randall, with the, with the fact that, that he does nothing quickly ever. Um, part of that is, you know, probably by his inclination, part of it is he's allowed to do that because as you say, there's no repercussions, but also he just like, there's, there's not much they do that, gets him the ball, you know, in an advantage situation where he can make a quick move. And, you know, the, 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 the contrast to, like, when Devin Booker got good, it was when Monty Williams got there and he really started emphasizing point fiving, you know, making a decision, shoot, pass, drive within point five seconds of the ball. With, with Randall, it's kind of like do it like 5.0-ing. And that's just a, that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just a hard way to play, in it with, in, you know, with a 24-second shot clock. And you can do that if you're, you know, LeBron or or, or Trey Young or Luka Doncic, and you know, Maybe no that's offense. Young. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other that that's that that's a conversation that gets Hawks fans mad at me. So we'll we'll skip that for now. <laughs> I'll duck that punch for now. But yeah, yeah, like I think. Um, so uh, yeah, you like you you're hinting at a few things there, and I I actually like where this is going because I actually got into a huge conversation about this today on Twitter. Um, there's this entire group think of like the Knicks right now are I'm just using basketball reference by the way I don't know what NBA.com says but the Knicks as of this morning according to Basketball Reference are playing at the slowest pace in the NBA okay uh, they're playing at ninety five point 
eight, I believe, is the pace. Ninety five point four. Sorry, didn't want to. Uh, I gave them a few few extra brownie points there. Um, Ninety five point four. Okay, that is terrible. It's not. I, I. It's not inherently terrible to play slow. But I think what you're also talking about here, it's not just that you're not playing. You you don't have a bunch of extra possessions in your games. It's also that you don't get into sets fast. Because, for example, I've talked about this before. If you watch the Miami Heat play, I don't think anybody would describe the way they play as slow. But they are the second slowest team by pace in the NBA. But they get into their offense, they run sets, they run a second set. They get into multiple actions in their offense. The Knicks do not do that. The Knicks like you know, slowly meander the ball up the floor like they've got fucking Michael Jordan on the team and they don't need much time. They can just throw it to him and he'll create a shot. Um, they don't get into sets routinely until there's 14 seconds on the shot clock. So now, if you run whatever you run, so most of the time it's some kind of pick and roll or dribble handoff, whatever, if that doesn't yield an advantage or an open shot or whatever, now you're in a situation where you've got a grenade being tossed around and somebody's just got to go get a shot for you. The Knicks don't have, like, did they upgrade their offensive talent? I think they did. But they still don't have the offensive talent to to succeed playing like that. And I think what's even more frustrating is they're actually playing slower this year than they did last year. Last year, they were at 95.9 pace, also bottom in the league. This year, they're 95.4. Like, these are minor differences, but it just shows that, like, they did it. Like, you have a different roster, and he's still coaching it the same way. And that's a problem for me. The second thing I want to say uh, is also that there's this other notion of, well, the Knicks don't have, quote unquote, a point guard. So because they don't have a point guard, that's why they can't consistently push the pace. And that's why, you know, yes, like, which doesn't make any sense to me, by the way, because like, I don't think having a point guard means that all of a sudden you're going to be a fast team. And if you look at Tim's history, I like I looked this up today. When he had prime Derrick Rose, pre-injury Derrick Rose, who was probably the most athletic freak of a point guard in the NBA at the time, uh, the Bulls finished all of 22nd in pace, and then they finished 28th in pace uh, in 2011-12, his second year with Tibbs in Chicago. So, like, and this is, you can go through his teams every single year, basically bar his final year of Minnesota, which wasn't a full year, it was half a year in Minnesota. Every single year, his teams are bottom five in pace. Every year. And so, like, it, this is not about he needs a fast point guard. He needs this. Like, it is about this is ultimately how he deploys his talent and his personnel, regardless of the talent and personnel he has. Because there is no way a team that has R.J. Barrett, that has consistently had Obi Top in the rotation. Julius Randle played a shit ton of minutes in New, in New Orleans for, I think, that year they were the fastest team in the NBA. Um the the Lakers teams he played on were plenty fast. Like, is he a different player now? Yeah, obviously. But like, I don't think you go from being able to play on teams like that to just like, no, I have to play this slow, grind it out, walk up style. Unless you're either being encouraged to, or there's no repercussions uh, for you operating in that fashion. And so, whatever the answer is there, whether Tibbs is actively choosing this or he's just allowing his players to operate at this pace. It falls on him as a coach. And I don't think it is like, I'm not asking him to be like, you know, I don't think this Knicks team should be like fucking competing for the Eastern Conference or something. But 
And I don't even know if he experimented more or pushed the pace more or all these type of... I don't know if that would actually yield drastically different results with the team. But I think you would learn more. And I also think that, like, it is not just about maximizing your win total this year. It's also about, like, what are we progressing towards moving forward long term? And that, I think, for me this year has been the biggest disappointment because you establish this foundation of, like, we're going to play, you know, we're going to give effort, whatever, 48 minutes, defend hard, blah, 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 blah. All these things, you established that last year. So now you got some upgrades on your roster, whatever, if perceived upgrades anyway. How do you adapt and, like, how do you evolve? Like, because teams in the NBA, you have to fucking evolve. You know, uh, like, this is a probably 95% of the people listening to this have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. But, like, in soccer, there's an idea of, like, the best time to buy and acquire talent is when you have already won and your team is great because you always need to be adding, be bringing players into the fold. And with like, part of that is also just evolving as your play style and function. And that definitely applies in basketball also. And like, to me, I watched this team this year and I'm like, well, you got Fournier who's like, yeah, he's not a dynamic, amazing player, but he's capable of doing more things than Reggie Bullock yet it feels like we mostly just use him a lot like Reggie Bullock. Um, so yeah, sorry for talking for like seven. No, no, no. It's, I, I, I think evolving is a, is a, a really good frame to look at this in. First of all, just like a, like a, a statistical point is what you're saying about like getting into stuff early. That's demonstrable. This is, you know, I've looked at this a number of different ways. It's kind of hard to look at with public data, but it's something that I, looked at in a previous life uh basically no matter (laughs) how no matter how you how you measure kind of initiating offense every second earlier you get into your offense is worth the point of offensive rating so that that, now that sounds like it could be a lot but really there's a gap of maybe you know when you control for kind of play starts because obviously off like a live ball rebound you're going to get into offense earlier than off of a made free throw but so controlling for play starts there's really about a two second difference between the slowest and the fastest team in the NBA. But that's still, that's five wins. You get just by, like, just just moving quickly. Like, it's, it's uh, the, the D'Antoni thing is, we're not sprinting right away, but we're moving right away. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's something that, that was, it's just an easy way to, to just get something going. Give the defense more chances to screw up. Is Especially with a team that doesn't have premium offensive talent, get some, get some, some system buckets, sure. But back to your point about evolution, uh, you went you went soccer. I'm going to go the other football, um, and this is you, this is sort of something that comes up from time to time in kind of the the fourth down debate. Is like coaches are still uh, the, the very conservative coaches are still operating like it's a you know a 20 years ago scoring environment where hey we get we get to 25 we got a good chance of winning and then now <laughs> now with teams going like up and down the field all the time it's just like well actually no it did like field position doesn't matter. So we, we got to go. As a as a Bills fan, I yeah. I definitely uh, agree with you. Yeah, I experienced that. So so, but <laughs> but and I think that I think that to a degree, like like uh, Tibbs is, is is his offense is like the just enough to win in 2010 kind of kind of offense. And then we'll grind out and win games that way. When we are in a uh, even if it's not quite as turbocharged as last season was offensively. This is a much higher offense environment than than it was kind of in his in the Chicago heyday. 
So you can't be trying to grind out the same. Hey, if we get, you know, we're going to get that. We're going to get these like, you know, nine, nine, uh, point nine points per half court chance. We're going to grind that out. And it's just like, that's not, not good enough today. You need, you need to get up into like, you know, one or, you know, the point nine five or one per, per half court. And, and so, um, and I don't know if that's a, you know, that, that, that's sure. Certainly that's partially a result of, of, of personnel. But it's also like like we've been saying, it's the these there's there's the the just the, the 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 I don't even know what the like the gears are locked and and they they need lubricant and it's just so it's just grinding of gears to get anything going. Um, and if I can just quickly address the last point you made, like. Oh, you can just keep talking. No, no, no. So, so we don't like, have any time limit. No, no, we like, don't have any time limits here. No, no. So, so like the like one of the one of the great benefits of having uh, guys like RJ Barrett and Julius Randle as your forwards is you don't need a point guard to play to get out and, and, and get some in the open floor. You've got two guys who who can rebound the ball and bring the ball to the floor. Like I think I think in, in uh, certainly in Barrett's case, like uh, that's probably his best offensive attribute is his ability to get a rebound and, and move very quickly in a straight line down the floor and then, you know, kind of be huge and, and run people over like a semi-truck in a Mad Max movie. Uh, but just kind of just shoulder them aside and then lay the ball. Like he had, he had a couple of those last night, including one very noisy dunk on both Russ and AD, if I remember correctly. Yes. So yep. like do that. Like you, you don't need, you don't need a point guard to empower these guys who have this skill set, this grab and go skill set to do it. But it's all just it's a it's just a function of, of wanting to play this 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 grimy twenty ten style when that could work today, but you need to uh probably have superior talent to make it work. Um Stacy, you there? Oh yeah, sorry I was on mute. Yeah, um and to be clear, like I guess the point would be there's two things the effect of playing slow does right it's fewer possessions so um um so it's higher variance um but um the downs i mean but is i mean you have fewer possessions but also um to your point is do you think the thinking is more around um you know avoiding turnovers like what's kind of the philosophy behind let's play slow or is it really just completely like that he just is worried about Avoiding turnovers and not being able to get back, like that's why he would have this kind of a mandate. Um, I think he's just a massive control freak. Like I think that I think it it, it boils down to that. Like in in today's NBA, um, good offense tends to come from creativity. Like um, this is this is uh this is uh, again another D'Antoni story. Is he was they they like when he was first you know with the Suns, you know they're like okay, what kind of play types? are we best at scoring at random random was our best play type. So it's like, you like just, we have good basketball players and let them play basketball. And that's, does that sound like Tom Thibodeau? And that's, and that's, I think that's part of why guys like quickly and top and get their minutes yanked around a little bit is they are guys who kind of operate in, if, if for lack of a better word, chaos a little bit. I mean, especially top end. Like, yes, like, yep. you know, the, just the entire, the energy of the game just changes so much and it's not always good, but it's, it's different. And for a team that's so stodgy, it's like, wait, what happens? Like we were, we were in Pleasantville and now it's, now we're in full color. 
Well, it's like, and it's like you need, like, you need guys, like, there are players who need to bring you stability, but then there are players that need to, like, to your point, like, drive chaos and, like, create events and create pace and energy and stuff like that. And I think both of those guys do that top in more so than quickly. Um, and, like, yeah, I think, I think it's actually really weird how he's used quickly this year. Like, it actually almost feels like, Last year, he was very okay with him taking 30-foot threes and spotting up out there and stuff like that. And I actually feel like we we see less of that now. And it's like, when he does it, he gets, you know, there's always a lot of people that are like, that's terrible shot selection, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, I don't think his shot selection is fucking great. But um, I also think like, if you're developing this, like you're you're giving him point guard. Well, you're okay, saying, you whoa, 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 whoa! You're saying a word here. That's that you're entering a new word in the conversation that again doesn't really exist in the, the this mindset, and that's development. Like, right? I, I think. Well, I, I, so like, I actually this is where I I I disagree with you a little bit on this, but I I I think Tibbs comes into a season and he has okay. These are this is how I want to use these 10 guys who are going to be in my rotation. This is each one's role, and that's how I'm going to use them, and that's that. But, like, and I think that can change, like, after season one, and he goes to season two, maybe he's, like, okay, quickly comes back from training camp, and he looks better. Okay, I'm going to use him in this role this year, and that's how I'm going to use him. But I do agree that, like, so I think, like, development can happen, but he is not going to adjust in season, and I think we have a lot of evidence of that. Like, Jimmy Butler, he was very much like, okay, this is what you're doing this year. This is what you're doing. And then, like, his fourth year, he obviously had all of these skills now, and then Tibbs was like, okay, I guess I'll run a bunch of ISOs for you now, because that's what we do. Um, But, like, but I do agree that, yeah, like, for Tibbs, it's not... He's not going to look at quickly right now and be like, well, I'm going to deal with him sucking ass for a few extra minutes here, because I think maybe 10, 15 games from now, that's going to yield me a reward. I think he's always so focused on this game today, right now in front of me that, yeah, like I, I agree. I, I mean, to your point, like that's definitely part of why guys like quickly and Toppin get their minutes yanked around a bit. And actually, let's be honest, like it's not like Toppin's minutes are getting fucking yanked around. They just are exactly what they are. You get six minutes here, you get six minutes there, and that's it because Julius Randle gets the other 36. Like there's no yanking around. It just is what it is. Like you don't get to play that much regardless of how you play. Um, and that's frustrating. And it's like, you know, the funny thing is the first game of the season, uh, Noel and Todd were out. And so the only healthy center was Mitch and he effectively was forced into playing Randall with Obi more. And that, that group, uh, turned that game around. I mean, it's just one game. It doesn't mean the whole world, but they turned that game around and the Knicks won that game, uh, in large part because of the minutes those two played together. And, like again to your point about chaos and all that kind of stuff like when Toppin came in that game he was playing with Randall all of a sudden the speed of the game changes completely and not just the game but like how the Knicks are playing the speed of their play and you know all of a sudden like yeah maybe you're giving up more open threes but you're also getting into passing lanes more deflecting passes getting and that creating opportunities in transition and I just like yeah I, I do think like part of the underlying strategy is just like the need for control and sometimes like he can't let go right like he cannot let his players kind of figure it out on their own and and also i just want to mention this but like 
one of the other benefits you get if you just push the ball up the floor isn't necessarily from directly scoring, but you create cross matches and you get mismatches that way. And like when you don't do that, you're kind of just giving up on that entirely. And that is always something for me that is a little confusing and annoying. But yeah, sorry. No, I I also think we might be overanalyzing like the psychology of this a little bit. Um, I think he was okay with quickly taking the thirty footer last year because they were winning. And when and and I mean I, this is I, again, and now that results are are you know what they are, uh, there's a fair amount of, of squeeze tighter going on. Just you know, just be be more perfect in executing, and 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 it'll be fine. None of this like none of this crazy stuff. I think that there's some of that also, but I so here's here's a here's a topic that or because uh, we've we've spent what are we we spent almost half an hour like bagging on Tibbs now. Um, I actually kind of think that it's a testament to the job that Tibbs did last year that he's made himself. I, this is going to sound harsh, but what the hell? Um, he's made himself kind of obsolete for the Knicks' progress by year two. Mm-mm. Like mm. they like they, they like they they became in year one, they became a professional basketball team. You know, a competent pre- and they as as frustrating as this season has been, they are still that. The Knicks are not a joke of a team right now. Like Yeah, it just it, as a fan it always feels yes. like that. But yeah, no, they're, 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 they are they are like they are struggling, they're in the mud, they're not living up to expectations, but they're not a, like you know a they're, laughing stock. They're not a laughing stock or a tire fire, and so like Tibbs kind of brought in to do that. And I think I really do think that if you got like management and you got into their heart of hearts, they kind of knew that that Tibbs was going to be the guy to get them to the guy. You know, because he you know he he is. It's it's this is not a it's not an indictment. There are coaches that are eight like you know, different coaches have different kinds of teams that have they have their strength with, and Tibbs is an A to B coach, and you need to get from you know B to to get from or even an A to A to G coach or whatever. But you need to get the Z, and Tibbs isn't getting <laughs> you there because you know of all these things we've talked about. So the fact that that's already like we're already seeing that like come to fruition now i think that's that's almost to, to tip's credit is that is yeah, that I, is that is that too galaxy brain to take no not at all i actually do agree with that um i actually like i think it's a credit to tips it's i think it's like a credit wall to... training jesse and breaking bad too quickly so <laughs> <laughs> i think i think it's actually a credit to both tips and the front you can't keep getting away with playing randall this much <laughs> <laughs> that's actually me like every game though um but before we continue, I want to make an announcement. Uh, but the moment the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here in honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code TBPN, 
and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 plus. Uh, minimum age and loca- minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. I think you bring up a good point there, Seth, uh, that he is a victim in some ways of his own success. Um, You know, and I... (laughs) I have heard similar that, you know, he was a coach brought in to do a job and he did that job amazingly well last year. Like, I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, you know, nobody thought the Knicks would go fucking 41 and 31. And were, were they, did they get lucky? Uh, yes, maybe they did. But 41 and 31. Who, who would don't... say such a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe someone. I think you know him very well. No. Uh, but, but like, yeah, I, it doesn't really matter what. Either way, they exceeded far exceeded expectations, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I do agree that in some ways he's a victim of his own success. But like, I think what makes this also frustrating is, uh, and hey, look, this is probably a good segue. Uh, I would say if you polled Knicks fans, uh, that they would say that R.J. Barrett, uh, despite a very weird season for him in the last month is finally showing you signs of, you know, is he a great offensive option right now? No, but I think you're seeing the signs on given nights of, okay, now maybe this is a guy that he can be one of these, you know, a top two or three option on a team. And I think what is frustrating is like, for example, last night, okay. He's six of seven in the first quarter. He's got 17 points. Tibbs, who has played him like, you know, 79 minutes in a row before, decides that this is the time he's going to exercise some prudence in his minutes uh, and pulls him with three minutes left in the quarter. And whatever, it's not a huge deal. He comes back in pretty soon thereafter. Close, I think he ended the first half with 21 points or something. I don't really remember off the top of my head. But then in the second half, he comes in and you get three shots in the third quarter. And it's like the offense just goes away from all of the speed. Like the things that... R.J. Barrett seems to do the best at do not seem to always be lockstep with how Tibbs envisions or at least how the team ends up playing on the floor. Um, And I just think like some of the frustration is you want to see. I don't know if you I'm not ready to say that he deserves to be given the keys or whatever the fuck, but like I think he deserves have a driving permit more often like he should get behind the wheel a little bit more i don't know like that's that is what i feel is like my biggest frustration um in the current moment you know in addition to like the various ones we've already already voiced but it's also that like it just feels there are so many times where rj will have it going and then it's almost like it's like this reflexive thing of like oh well we got to get randall going too or like oh shit we got to run something for evan now and it's like you know there's just like that lack of flow that comes from, you know, kind of the entire offensive system. But, um, you know, I just think with RJ right now, it's like 
frustrating because you do feel like they need to lean into that more, and there's still almost a hesitation to do it. Sorry, go ahead. No, was, like, okay. So, I see what you're saying, but also, I think some of that is, um, you know, if you're, 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 I think you'd concede that RJ does not have the skill set to be a top option yet. And no, I think, and, 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 and I think, and, and, and just to be clear, like, my personal belief is that he's probably never going to have that skill set. Um, I've always been more of the mindset that, like, he can be one of your top two, like, two or three offensive guys. Probably the second or third one, not the first one. So, I know, I think, I think that these, these things that you're seeing are, are kind of the, the limitations of someone who, who probably his, I don't know, like, this is, it's always a tough, uh, it, it, you're always guessing at this, but his like natural usage rate would be like mid twenties, and he's trying to end the natural struggles of that guy trying to expand to like a thirty usage rate, and those other extra shots are actually like kind of hard to come by because this, the skill set isn't there for those 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 shots to kind of come out of any sort of you know with any out of any sort of flow or naturalness, if that makes sense. So I think that there, like, there's a little bit of, you know, okay, yeah, the, the, you you would he he, uh, it just so happened that like, in in I, I'm not not speaking specifically of like like yesterday, but uh, yeah, he got seven shots early, but that's that's more of a you're almost getting fooled by sequencing rather than um, there there being something particular about this game that like oh he's going to be able to carry a 45 usage efficiency this game. That's not. That's not really how the. That's not how this works. Totally. So not. While while agreeing that like I think that the system doesn't do him a lot of favors because he's a guy who you know semi transition attacking off of forty five degree angles. Um, those are those are kind of like his he, like the things that that suit his like both physical like frame and skill set well, and they don't really create a lot of you know go and catch opportunities because. You need to create like a closeout for that to work, and you gotta create a crease in the defense, and they don't do that. Because so, while I'm agreeing with all that, I I think that that's also you know these are the kinds of things you see when when you're asking a guy to expand past their past what their skill set will will bear, you know. And he's you know he's 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 up high twenties usage this year on you know pretty mediocre efficiency still. Um, and that's sort of, I think that's an indicator of a guy that's being, you know, stretched too far. I mean, I think part of the frustration for me with RJ is like, and really all of the Knicks is like, you really do have, I don't want to say island of misfit toys, but you have a lot of people with incomplete skill sets, right? You have Quickly, who uh, is good at creating his own shot on the perimeter, um, decent passer, um, can get below the free throw line and screen and roll, but ultimately can't finish, right? He's, he's He avoids layups. I like the play, right? You've got like RJ who is, is, doesn't really have a pull-up game right now, um, but is pretty good at getting to the rim, right? Um, you have got you have another guy like Grimes and Obi of two guys who are uh, guys who move a lot more and who are connectors, right? So the thing is, but but they can't really create their own shots when those kind of guys, and it's not just the youth thing, right? Um, I think Fournier is a guy that fits together with those guys as well because. Uh, you know, of of kind of the movement and being able to plug in and complement each other's skill sets. And I think 
like the lineup stats, you know, they're, um, you know, you can, you know, they're not going to be 100% perfect, but they bear that out. When RJ Barrett plays with quickly, neither one of them is a point guard or a primary advantage creator, but what they tend to give each other and what they tend to offset their own, you know, their weaknesses match up with the other person's strengths and vice versa. Like that kind of creativity. Instead, what we often see is Barrett is playing with Randall, um, which hasn't worked well. Um, you know, and, you know, you see that the younger guys are playing, you know, in kind of that fun lineup. And it's almost like that Squidward meme, right? Where, um, you know, he's looking out of the window and Patrick and, and SpongeBob are outside having fun, right? Like that's how I feel with RJ and the bench, but he would help them a lot too. And so does that mean he's got the keys? Um, no, but it, it means that him and like, you can have that co-sharing thing. And I know there's a lot of people who kind of balk at the idea of, point guard by committee or whatever but um you know when the knicks have allowed them to co co handle responsibilities them and burks uh it's worked and the, the last thing i'll say also and that i mean sure i'd be interested in your thoughts and, and seth too if you watched like the whole game yesterday um you know it does seem like the last two games um it, the knicks have it looks like they have made an effort for large stretches of the game to play faster um one thing that was very noticeable i thought burks made a strong effort to get the ball up uh, and not not jog the ball up, but get into the set at seventeen, eighteen seconds. Um, do you, a, am I just imagining that, or was that just a product of things were going well? Um, and B, like, do you think that could be a front office directive, or the front office might nudge him to say, "Hey, Johnny Bryant's going to have more of uh, the offensive responsibility," or something like that? Well, what if I told you that in the last three games, the Knicks have played. The seventh fastest paced team, the sixth fastest paced team, and the third fastest paced team. In, That's in something I might be interested in. Is that something you might be interested in? Sure. Uh, like, yeah, I do think the Knicks, they've all talked about this in the last few days. They've given sound bites about how they're trying to get the ball up the floor more quickly and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'll believe it when I see it over a longer stretch of games because right now it just looks to me like they're playing teams that push the pace. Um, and they're benefiting from kind of getting lost in that game themselves. But like, you know, I, who do they play next? They play fucking Utah. Utah's 16th in the league in pace. Um, I mean, they can't defend me without Rudy Gobert. So maybe that'll benefit the Knicks anyway. But like, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they do over the course of this entire West Coast trip they're on because, um, you're going to play teams that aren't fast in pace, you know? Um, like Dallas, I think they play Dallas on this trip, maybe, uh, if I remember correctly. So like, they're a fucking slow team. Like I, I just need. I'll need. I need to see it against teams that aren't already playing that type of style, um, because you know to to do it. I just. I just. I don't know. I don't. I agree with you. I've seen more of it, um, but like then you also go from that first half yesterday, which they were really you know doing a great job of it, and then in the second half they come out and it's just like everything again is this fucking slog and it is like this walk-up bullshit and then you got Kemba doing god knows what and neural like it's just I I need to see it over a longer sample for me to be like well they're really doing it now because we've seen stretches like this before from this team um you know Seth talked about this earlier where um like they started the year off and they were pushing the pace and then as soon as the defense took a bit of a hit what happened Tibbs put the handbrake on and we went back to very, very much. Uh, it's like, you know, you go back to like fucking 90s football where you're just lining up under center. You got two tight ends in and you're just, you know, 
running power eye the entire time. Like it's like that's effectively what we've been doing this season. So um, do I think that all of a sudden Tibbs has embraced the spread offense and RPO game? Uh, no, I'm not sure that I totally buy that yet. Yeah, no. I, Stacy said something about like like point guard by committee and being you, you know, um, or you could just call that say that that's a that's an offense with player and ball movement. Like you 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 can put a lineup out there. Not too. It doesn't take a lot of like imagination to say you put a lineup out there. It's got like quickly and Burks and or 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 even like quickly Grimes, uh, Barrett, Toppin, and a big guy. And you got four guys who can who can who can you know who can dribble and pass and mostly shoot. Like you can do some stuff there if you if you if you have guys moving and passing and 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 doing that 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 kind of gets you away from the need to okay the point guard dribbles to the left slot the center comes up and sets an angled pick and roll and then we swing the ball to the opposite side and then you know you look at uh, like you know picture four in the IKEA catalog. You can't really tell what, what <laughs> you can't tell which piece goes where, and so yeah. So I think that that like it's it's just a matter of of description. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a reason why with some of these like lineups with a little bit more players who kind of just flow a little bit more, there is a little more flow. Um, and you know, there the the Knicks kind of have some guy like. Honestly, this is this is where like Rose being out probably hurts them because like he's probably their most, I mean, he's almost certainly their most reliable kind of. We are running pick and roll creator, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. so if if and if that's what you're going to do, and having someone who actually does that, even though that's not, really, I don't think that's the optimal way to play. It's certainly not my favorite way to play from a <laughs> aesthetic standpoint. Um, but if you at least have someone who's who's good at doing that. And you know, Burks can do that a little, I guess. But that's but he's still more of a he's more of a connector himself. And and you're you're asking like the Burke stuff, I feel I actually feel really bad for him because he's just been stretched to a point that is insane. Like Alec Burks should not be being asked to run high pick and roll as the primary initiating, you know, action of your offense. 20 times a game because he's your point guard. Like, and asking him to do that, just it's the entire thing with Brooks has been fucking insane. Um, and yeah, I obviously losing uh, Rose hurts a lot. Um, but like, you know, it's just uh, the entire season has just been really frustrating because I think what you have seen, and I, I, you know, we've talked about this endlessly on here is just like that, you know, and you like, you talked about playing with flow. Like that's the most notable difference between, the bench most of the time and the starters most of the time is that the bench just seems to play with a little bit more spontaneity, continuity, whatever you want to call it. Whereas the starters, it really feels like very much pre-planned, like robotic. We have to do these five things and like, that's it. And it's just, you know, like, does the ball move side to side? Sure. But it's like, are you moving the ball side to side? Because you're, effectively trying to find an opening in the offense like in the defense and you're trying to exploit gaps or is the ball moving side to side purely because that is what you're supposed to do so, and yeah that's what it looks like this so this is um you know one of one of the a topic i've written about a, a bunch including in, in the book is is a economics concept called goodhart's law 
which the, the the statement of that is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a useful measure. What that means is, you know, okay, these things are associated with good results. So let's go after those indicator things. Well, they, they're not they're not good indicators anymore because you're you're playing the drill. So it's like, yeah, if you if you you break down if you break it down like you know getting to the second side in an offense and touching the paint multiple times, like these things are are like in the course of running your offense. If you do these things, your offense is functioning well. If you run your offense to do these things, then you're just like moving the ball laterally. You're just playing east west. The whole the, like for for too much of possessions without actually getting like the benefit you would be getting like you know in a an, in an offense where you're not where you're not directing guys to aim for oh plus one ball reversal okay well I'm gonna drive you know drive dish kick go to the other side now we're on the second side we're getting a closeout we do it again we swing it back to the first side someone's open for three like that's not that like. Those those two ball reversals weren't like we must ball reverse the ball. It's like we did good things that that forced the defense to, to shift to the strong side. Then we can move the ball and and we we created good opportunities from that. And so I think what you're describing of that sort of rote must reverse ball is is chasing the indicator almost instead of instead of you know it's like oh the the ball went side to side that must be good instead of like. Why is it good when the ball goes side to side? And that's, I think, more where the flow aspect comes in, and that's what you're seeing out of the bench is creating those kind of ad- advantage situations that are that usually, like, over, like across the whole league, kind of accrue to these like reversal situations. Um, Stacy, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, when you optimize for a metric. Uh, then it's you're you're kind of losing you're confusing I guess I think I've heard the analogy like confusing the map for the territory or whatever. Um, I remember Fisdale actually did this. He said we wanted to get to like 300 passes a game because that's like a good number or something. And so what ended up happening is just like the Knicks would come up and they'd run, you know, a fucking three man weave like seven it's, times. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's Norman Dale nonsense. It's like yeah, it's like the fifty-three rushes thing for um, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's uh, what was um, the what was it? Urban Urban had one this year, right? He wanted uh two hundred and fifty yards of passing and rushing in a game. <laughs> it's just like okay, man, whatever. Yeah, Num- numbers weren't really Urban's for, uh, forte this year. Age, <laughs> attempts, anything, right? So, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know that the Knicks are even doing that right now, right? Um, with like it, it seems to me that like the bench kind of understands, and I mean a guy like I mean Julius has done it too. He's been doing it a lot the last few games. So shouldn't I will one thing I've definitely noticed with Julius especially. So while I'll push back on you saying it's purely a product of um, you know the competition, Alec Burks I've seen a change in. Um, this is a guy who used to walk the ball up. Um, like even when the Lakers are set after made baskets, I think there was an, an effort on his part. Now, is that from Tibbs? Is that from the players? Maybe it's something that Tibbs doesn't emphasize or whatever, but at least to get into the set earlier, that's something I'm still not seeing from Kemba Walker. I mean, they probably call him Kemba push the pacer if that, if he was actually going to play faster, but, <laughs> um, but, um, but you can see that with the bench, right? Like, and I see that with the other thing I was going to say is Randall, like the go and catch thing. He's been doing that a lot more the last few games. Um, so I think that the players do kind of realize that's the thing. 
could it be that Tibbs also just isn't emphasizing those aspects as much, right? Forget like pushing the pace and transition. He might just say that's a no, but even running things faster is just not something he emphasizes. And well, like my thing, like what do you if you want to if you want to say you want to generate more early clock looks, right? What do you run early clock to to serve that purpose? Well, they try and they what, do the pistol thing, right? But I mean, sorry, I, one other thing I wanted to say. Yeah, sorry, I, mean, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. My bad. Yeah, there's that and like, but even like things like ball movement and all of that. Um, I'm not, I don't even know if Tibbs is anti that, but there's other things to like in terms of the precision, right? And in cuts and like knowing where to go, setting the right kind of screens, making the right reads off of those. Like a guy like Fournier is pretty good at that, but like how many of the Knicks bigs are just not good at, at setting screens, right? Or very inconsistent with it. How many times do you see them kind of loaf into cuts, right? That sharpness and precision that affects pace too, right? Because that means more things are going to get blown up. So, and th- those are things that Tibbs might em- not emphasize as much as a coach like well, Dan And those and those are things that also sort of come from you're just running the play. You know, it's yeah, like you're, you're not you're not running. You, this is so this you have is to run it with purpose. Yeah, this is this is like you know that one of the hardest things about being like the the like the pure dive and dunk big man is you have to sprint to the rim and you'll get the ball one out of every six, eight times you do this. He's like, okay, I'm going to sprint it up, set it a good spam. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to roll the basket. I'm going to make noise. I'm going to throw my hand up and, and I'm not going to get the ball. And I'm going to do it again and again and again. And it's like the commitment to do that every time and make that cut every time because either you, you it's been explained to you or you understand why just that movement is is helping all the rest of your teammates like that's one thing but if you're just kind of okay we're going to do this to get to that and do the thing so i have to go here and then i go there and you know and punch the clock and 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 do it then it's it's your it's it's your literally that's that's what going through the motions literally means and if you but if you're just running the stuff to run it instead of it being like you're running it to score you know you're it i i think it's it's you know it's not uh, ideal, but it's certainly understandable that if, if those kind of things become a little imprecise, a little not sharp, it's just like yeah, I can run the perfect cut every time. But if if we're never even looking at that pass, like yeah, that's yeah, I, I I I think that's actually one of my biggest annoyances watching just our offense is like there is such a and you know it's actually more than even the set offense you see this. The, the Knicks are the most guilty of this when you watch their out-of-bounds plays after timeouts or just set plays after the ball gets deflected out of bounds. They are fucking terrible. It is fucking brutal to watch this shit every single game. And I don't like, they always run the same goddamn fucking thing that drives me nuts. You got whoever fucking big, big man is out there, be it Mitch or Noel or whoever, they they're out there. They set the they quote unquote set the screen, but not really set the screen for the guard to like come up. That doesn't create any separation. So then you and then everybody else is just standing around. There's no other movement. So then eventually the Knicks have to throw some contested pass to somebody desperately trying to get themselves open. And then it takes another if they if that pass is successful, it takes another five fucking seconds for that player to find the pass so they can actually set their offense up. It is brutal to watch. It is like such an indictment of like this is the shit that drives me absolutely crazy with these people that are like, well, you just, Tibbs can't do any better. He can't do any better. What do you fucking mean he can't do any better? Like, 
you can't sit there for an entire fucking season last year and verbally fillet him all day, every day. So great. Everything is wonderful. He created the culture, turned everything around, blah, 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 blah. And then as soon as things aren't, Julius Randle isn't shooting like Paul George or, you know, the Knicks aren't on a heater from three for an entire month. As soon as that happens, he's got, that's it. There's nothing else. We, can, we can't expect anything else from him. We can't expect him to try different things. It's like the, the unwillingness to, to get him to, like, like when you talk about the precision in the offense, that is directly on him as a coach. That reflects directly on him as a coach because he is either okay with them doing it, like, that is, it, like, literally that's what he wants them to do, and he's okay with them just kind of, you know, hitting, like, you know, checking off the boxes, like, okay, this guy went and set the screen, this guy slowly jogged over there, he did his cut, like, like he's either okay with that, or he's just, what, he's too much of a coward to, like, hold any, like, to actually drill them to do this shit. Either way, it doesn't reflect well on him. Um, and I think it's a fucking cop-out to, like, you know, oh, he can't do any better. And I, Obviously, you guys aren't saying this, but I just... I've had this discussion too often now, and I've heard people fucking say this shit way too often. It is, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke to sit there and pretend that Tibbs' coaching job this year has been perfect and that, you know, anybody questioning him, well, he doesn't have a point guard. He just shut the fuck up. Like, oh, wow, it's, is it not perfect to be head coach in the NBA? Like, you know, cry me a fucking river. Nobody cares about your sob story. You know, you've had half the fucking league, like, and not even, the entire league has miss, had like large swaths of their players miss games because of COVID outbreaks. You know, like the Knicks in that sense have actually had it. Mu- they had it much better than most teams. Um, but like, you know, we've seen pathetic efforts from the Knicks though. And like, I've just, I've just seen so much more precision and willingness to experiment in ways that like, like all of this stuff is just, it just keeps building when I, like, it's just like really frustrating. And, you know, there's this idea of like, well, when the trade deadline comes and um, the Knicks will move off a couple of these vets and then these young guys are going to play more and everything is going to be amazing. And, you know, we're all going to be loving every, every moment of it. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't do. I think like Tibbs can do. I don't think he'll coach necessarily differently. I do think that like maybe you'll just reap the benefits of like young player enthusiasm of like running through mo- actions with more pace and verb and shit. Um, but like fundamentally, if he does not, like he has to adapt as a coach, right? Like, again, like he can get you from what, what, what did you say, Seth? A to G, right? But you got to get to Z. Like if all Tibbs can do is get you from A to G and then at, once he hits G, it's just, you're going to keep, keep banging your head on the wall. Like then ultimately, like it's just a matter of time before you're going to make a, a change that at that spot. Um, I don't particularly want to fire him right this moment, but like, I mean, good Lord, man, if I have to sit through an entire season, like two seasons of refusing to like, like the refusal to just try things and find out information, um, you know, like Gordon Gecko, what's the most commodity, you know, information like, like Tibbs, like only wants to know the information that he is determined, predetermined is the valuable information. The rest of it is just like, he's no insider trader. Yeah, he's just, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, I just, it's, I don't know. I just fucking yelled about shit that we weren't even talking about. But yeah. I just, I don't know, man. This can I, can entire I, thing is... Can I, can I, can I turn the conversation in a different direction, if I may? 
And I was while you were while you, you stepped away while we were pre-showed for a little bit, and I told Stacy that that uh, I was gonna try to be like operate as a little bit of a ray of light here. Um, so this is this is maybe just me being like a Nick's contrarian, as is my reputation. But I want to zoom out and like this season has been frustrating. But from the standpoint of when this management group took took, took over. Just so much better shape. Like this season, it's I don't want to say it's fine, but it's fine. It's like it's been a bad season, but the sensible way they approach the offseason, like I think that Leon Rose knew this wasn't a championship team. Look at the contracts mm-hmm. and the players they signed. Like they, these these were contracts that were signed to be non burdensome and possibly even like trade chips down the road that's what these all these team options are where you have basically two years two year expiring contracts so you've become instead of being this this like a like a, a joke franchise that that is just a comic a comedy on the floor it's a professional basketball team you have like a reasonably good cap sheet you have a actually a pretty nice group of young players to work with like if you zoom out a little bit like as frustrating as this moment is this is a better moment um, in like the life cycle of building something real as a Knicks team, than you, than you, than you've been in more or less two decades with some like false starts built on kind of some. some well, it's yeah, it's the first time there's a foundation that like feels like like, and I actually I I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. Like I do think that that's actually part of the frustration. By the way, is that you're like, well, we do have this group of young players that are like seems like they fit well together and are fun like maybe we should play them more but anyway but yeah i i completely agree with you like um the the organization is it's 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 healthy like it's not in a bad place you know like uh and i think maybe you might have mentioned this when you came on a previous time but that like all of the contracts they signed are basically if you add up the dollar value it's like the exact amount you need to trade for damian alert or something like that um, so yeah, I mean, I do think that like, obviously they signed some of these contracts with the idea of like, you need salary to eventually. Now I think that would be, I think that particular one would be a bad idea now, just because I, I agree. That, yeah. I think that like, you know, the, like of, of like the, the big stars who might become available, two of them, I, at least two of them, I would be very worried about actually like trading. For Harden them. is the other one. Yeah. Harden is the other one. Um, I we should talk a little bit about Harden. Yeah. A, no, I, so, so I, 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 a fun topic of conversation. Yeah, I, so I, I was actually making a joke to someone else the other day about like, um, like the 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 net like someone was saying, "Well, the Knicks can trade for Harden." He's like, "Well, they're not going to trade him across town." I was like, "Well, no, that would be like uh, David Stern giving Gary Bettman a great review." Uh, when, when he was when he was interviewing for the NHL commissioner job, like it's like, oh, here you go, guys. Yeah, it's like, oh, our crosstown rivals got this player that they've signed to fifty million dollars a year till he's thirty eight years old. Oh no, what what shall we do? Like that 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 strikes me as uh, as as kind of a uh, and that would have been a nice bit of sabotage. So I don't think that I don't think they should trade for Harden. I don't think at this point they should trade for Lillard. Although. I mean, it kind of depends on what that is, but if 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 like the uh, asking price for Lillard is young players and all the draft picks, and it's like no, like that's yeah, like, I, that's like that, 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 sense, that, that, yeah. that's Carmelo two point oh, and and, well, and like, well, uh, older 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 already breaking down Carmelo two point oh. 
Yeah, I mean, at least when they traded for Melo, he was 26, so he was, like, just entering his prime years. Um, But, like, no, I actually, the one thing I've routine, like, I I think is really a point of importance that, like, I hope that internally the organization really does understand this. But, like, if you look at all the other big market teams, you know, obviously Brooklyn, both LA teams, Chicago, um, all of these other big market teams are basically like they are in it to win it right now. Um, they have made their big pushes in. I, I mean, Chicago does have a little bit more flexibility than the other ones left. Um, but like they have pushed in a lot of their chips already. What the Knicks have right now at their disposal is like you have time on your, like you, you didn't go all in on anything. You're not beholden really to anybody's timeline here. I mean, I don't think maybe if Julius was playing like he did last year, you'd feel a little bit more inclined to be aggressive. But because he's not, you, you're not beholden to his timeline in any way. Um, I think the Knicks, and I, I think the Reddish trade, um, you know, I thought in some ways that was a tell of what they're thinking internally. Like, you know, is that a move that you make because you're trying to jumpstart your season or move up the win curve or anything like that? I don't think so. I think that's a move that you're it's making. pure asset play. Yeah, it's an asset play, and you're just like, okay, this guy is a tall wing with some interesting tools and is shooting the three much better this year. Like maybe we can work something out with that. Like that, that to me is a tell of like an understanding of where you are as an organization and where you are is very clearly not like, let's, let's try to go for it right now. You know? Um, So I think like the signs are there on the surface and all the reporting uh, kind of leading up to the deadline has been that the Knicks want to move off of a few of their vets. They want to clear playing time for Cam Redder specifically. And I think, you know, also the other guys. So, Quentin like, Quentin Grimes I do think is sitting right they... here. Just, play, just play. <laughs> Quentin, is. just play Quentin Grimes thirty minutes. Quentin Grimes is okay. This is like this is this is frustrating. Like, I don't understand. Like, you see, like you like. Uh, and I was thinking he's going to be this good right away. Is probably is is maybe me wish casting a little bit. But look at what Desmond Bain is doing, and and tell me that that like so far Quentin Grimes hasn't shown every bit of that kind of potential. Like he has, you know, yeah, like absolutely. I like I'm thinking back to the like the the, the Milwaukee game. Um, it was about ten days ago. I, mm. Time has no meaning. Oh yeah, the the one where he dropped like twenty seven or whatever. Right? Well, it wasn't. No, it wasn't that. It's so so. Uh, my friend Eric Name, who's the Athletics beat writer for for the Bucks, every game when Chris Middleton gets a guy gets a shorter guard into the mid post, gets into his bag and drops a turnaround over him, he tweets out a little gif that's like too small, and you know. He and he got Alec Burks early in the game, and the tweet comes out too small. He tries to do it to Quentin Grimes, and I've seen this happen. You know, I've watched a lot of Chris Middleton's career very closely, and I've seen this happen. I could probably, if I can count it on both hands, it's not using my second thumb. You know, and Quentin Grimes gets up and just fully palms this turnaround shot, and like that's that's like not a play a lot of guys are making. And just, you know, a guy who is a, a rookie, like, quote-unquote, undersized two-guard, you know, doing doing that kind of thing to an all-star while also shooting 40% from three and being generally just pretty good at, you know, everything in a, not in a, I'm going to be a star away, but I'm going to be an excellent role player. I'm going to be a, you know, he's, everything about him suggests this is a future playoff motherfucker. And, like... Play that guy. Just play him. He's like it. It it, it would make you better now, and also would it, it, anyway. 
That's, that's are you are you suggesting that playing uh, a rookie could potentially improve the team in both the short and the long term? That's crazy because actually I play, like, only like, vets only vets can help you yeah. win the NBA. No, I'm you know I'm I'm pretty firmly on board with you know with play your good players and <laughs> and figure it out, which is like oh like okay. I think like Randall's had a tough season. I think he's I think he's he's not as good as he was last year and he's not as bad as he's been this year. I think he's pretty salvageable with, you know, some Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Like play him and Toppin together. Just let's see it. Like if 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 you know, he's he's stuck in the mud of 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 doing all this like one-on-one stuff because the team is so stationary around him. Put your best movement player on the floor with him. Just to see it, you know. Put your like, put your good players on the floor and and see what happens. And if something doesn't work, like like synergy wise, you adjust around that. But it's 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 the the, the everyone in. I feel like I'm going on your rant now, but it's everyone. And it's, this isn't just the Knicks. Like I want to see the Hawks play Capella and Congo together. I want like I just you know I. What I like the the Lakers to Lakers are finally seem like they're saying, "Hey, Austin Reeves is good. He should be on the floor more." Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, play them with with uh, LeBron and AD, and and figure out the fifth guy. And and then what about Westbrook? To figure out the fifth guy. And <laughs> you know. well, actually, to your to your point, like this is something that Cleveland has done really well this year. I think where they just were like. Okay, well, we have a bunch of tall guys that are good, quitters, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're just like, all right, we'll just fucking play them together and figure it out, and yeah. like. We'll just play Maybe with, like if, yeah, if it didn't work, like what's the worst that was going to happen? You're the Cavs, like okay, like you know what I mean? Like the the Knicks are twenty four and twenty nine. So the what what is the worst thing that's going to happen if you try these things? Oh, we're going to lose because we've been doing a lot of fucking losing. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Just play. I agree. Like I think, and I that's where I think a lot of the fans are too. Where it's like, like if you were like last year when you were winning, the ends kind of justified. Like okay, see like. That's why he wasn't trying Top and Randall together because this helped us win X Y. Like, but now when you're losing games and your season is, let's be honest, like the season is pretty close to just being. I mean, the, looking at the schedule the rest of the way, all that kind of stuff. This team could easily finish like thirty three and forty nine or something like that. Like that would not be an outrageous outcome to go nine and twenty the rest of the way or something. Um, but like, yeah, like find out what you have and like what, the worst case is you keep losing. The best case is all of a sudden you stumble into something and you're like. Oh well, this is fun. This is cool. Uh, like, I mean, what Steve Kerr when he took over the job at Golden State, he wasn't going to play Draymond at the five or whatever. He ended up starting him because David Lee got hurt, and he was like, "Okay, well, I guess I'll play Draymond at the four. And look at what happened. I mean, maybe he would have gone there anyway. It probably would have. But like, sometimes you just need to try shit. Uh, and whether it be circumstances that force your hand, like you never know what the reward could be unless you try it, right? Like. You know, you got to fucking, what is it? You got to buy a ticket to win the raffle. Like, that's ultimately what it is. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do agree. Like, that's that's some of it. I, I do. Like, we have, look, we have to talk about R.J. Barrett, though. I can't I can't have you on here and <laughs> almost, not ask almost, you. Almost, almost made it. <laughs> okay, so I actually didn't see what the hell you tweeted about RJ yesterday until it was uh, no it was something no it's basically it's it's so the, the annoying thing this year is like he he anytime he makes two shots in a row there's like where where's my guy Seth part now now it's like oh, come on guys like it there's nothing like there's like very little has fundamentally changed about my like 
would I like would I put him in, in on would he make my tears now? Yeah, he probably would. And that's just that's probably as much about some other guys like backsliding. But he still I mean he still has you know, he's still under fifty percent effective field goal percentage. He's still like the the uh here's here's the way I'll put it, and this is this is a comparison with Grimes as well. Um I had I had someone who, who follows the team pretty closely opine to me that that Grimes is gonna be is the best of the is gonna be the best of their young players. And that's that's it's Mitch included and RJ included. And the way he put it to me was this is like RJ has to be great at what he does to be good. Grimes just has to be good at what he does to be good. And so that's that's still where I am on that. And even a game like last night where, you know, RJ goes off for was 36, like it's still he takes, you know, 28 shots to get there. He he makes a couple of free throws. He's basically like his best game is like an average efficiency game. So that, like, that's so I know I will like there like you know you see the flashes you do where he like he you know the, these plays we're talking about where he grabs the ball off the board hard dribble left hand like bowls people over and and finishes that's great um but this is that's still it's still the the jump from there to a star is still I just can't get there like the guy who like the the honestly like the player whose career I think he's he's in, in terms of level more than style that he that I think he's going to end up with is Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams was, you know, at some, at one point he was known as the guy who was picked ahead of Chris Paul and whatever. But he was a guy who was a like a good solid pro who was a a valuable member of teams for a long time. And that's more where I think that 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 RJ is is going to be, especially on, on like better teams. Because again, there's little he's doing that shows me that he can, that he's a guy who can carry it 27 usage for at a level that's acceptable for a good team. So yeah, he, he, so yes, like, he has, can I, let me just put a point on this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He has improved this year. No, I'm still not seeing like stardom. So like, yeah, we don't. I mean, the startup thing is very. That's gonna give me a subjective point, but like, so like, I think what, like, part of being becoming a star and a high usage player and all this kind of stuff, right, is like, like, just one, being given the opportunity to like do shit, just like try shit out, um, and then two, having the confidence and ability to do it, and then three is like just develop like reps like you need to just like like because not everybody like Luka Doncic comes into the NBA and he's you knew from day one like okay that he's going to be a star like superstar no question he had the reps when he was 15 like so right and but it's like yeah and you already just you just knew like as soon as like there are guys that just stepped on onto an NBA court and like like Evan Mobley for me is one where like within a week I was like all right this guy's it's just gonna it at some point like That'll happen. There, there's no question about it. Um, I don't think RJ is one of those guys. A hundred, like I, I don't think that. I think he is, like his game, the way he plays is a lot. Like he has to grind to get his production. Um, and I do think that, like he has probably, I, I have thought consistently. I, I think the guy I've compared him to in terms of like, I'm not necessarily stylistically, but like somebody who's a slow burn and just, you know. You know, all of a sudden, five six years into their career, you're like, oh, I guess, I guess he is a star now. 
like is somebody like Gordon Hayward, who, I mean, if you look at his career, it was it was like what I think his fourth year in the NBA was in Utah, uh, and he, I remember that offseason. He got that big offer sheet from Cleveland, right? Uh, or maybe it wasn't Cleveland. I don't remember who it was uh, that gave him the offer sheet. And people were like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, Gordon Hayward had a down year and all this type of stuff. And whatever. Utah matches it. He goes back. I think year six he made his first all-star team. Uh, like, I don't... It, I don't think... Like, if you asked me to put odds on it, like, the odds are probably in your favor. But, like, you have to generally bet at some point on an outlier development occurring. Uh, and you have to bet sometimes just on a dude you believe in to some degree. And like, are there indicators that are worrisome with RJ in terms of like, you know, like you mentioned, he has a 26 usage, um, but it's true. Shooting is just 51.8. Uh, he's only shooting 69 and a half percent from the free throw line. Like, nice. I think yeah, more, yes. more worrying than that is, is like for a guy who, who doesn't who doesn't have much of a pull up game? He also doesn't get to the line a whole lot. Like these are so these are the the, the things that you know, the, like this like you know, does he does he finish at the rim at a, at an elite level? Not really, not at all, frankly. Does he can he can he score from the mid range effectively when he ends up with these grenades that 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 that's what star players do? They end up with the grenades at the end of the shot clock. His, you know, his if his his shooting, his effective field goal percentage on pull on pull ups is in the 30s, I think. Right? Uh, does he get to the line a lot? No. So these are like the kinds of things that would allow you to effectively become that high 20s usage players. It's it's not like the, these are developing things. It's just like these are things that have that, that haven't been shown really at all in his NBA career. So that's that's again where I'm coming from, and I see what you're saying. You got to give him the chance and stuff like that to see, but like you know, other other like Mikhail Bridges has kind of shown more like growth in that kind of mid range area than 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 RJ has. But you know? I mean, and, Mikhail, and yeah, Mikhail yeah, Bridges right now is like I don't know he's got like a 16 usage right now or something. Yeah, and, and he's, he's also like 79 years old already, so. You know, I don't really give a shit about Mikael Bridges, to be completely honest with you. Like, I accept, is he a good I accept, player? I accept no Mikael Bridges slander. I like Mikael Bridges. <laughs> he's a good player. I just don't give a shit about, like, Mikael Bridges to me, like... You he's know, not you Kevin Knox. Me. Yeah, he's not Kevin Knox. I don't know who... I don't know who Mikael Bridges is at the elbow. Um, but, like, I like Mikael Bridges, 16 usage, whatever. Like, Grimes... Like, you brought up the Grimes thing. And I think this is an interesting discussion. Because I I can see that argument. But that argument is different to me than... Like, like, is Grimes our best prospect? I mean, what, what do you, when you talk about that, though, like, what does it really mean, right? Like, right. because is Grimes most likely to be the best at his role, at how he projects? I think that's probably the, that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, like, the safest bet of all these guys is Grimes in the sense of, like, w- like why would he not be able to do the things he's doing with more reps, right? Like, it's not like you're doing, like, he clearly should be able to do it. If anything, he should probably get better at it, like scoring from inside the arc, you know, attacking closeouts, stuff like that. Uh, he should probably improve at that. But like, but is that does that make him a better prospect than RJ Barrett? I, for me, like, I don't think so because ultimately, like you, like we can sit here and criticize the things that RJ Barrett doesn't do well and what he needs to get better at and all of that, and all of that can be true. But like, 
you need a player to have to hit a certain level of usage and all this type of shit to like be a difference maker to drive your offense in a way. Yeah, that's fair. and yeah, and so like for me, RJ is the next best prospect, not because he's necessarily the most likely to hit that outcome, but he's the one guy you can look at and be like, okay, I can see a world where this guy becomes a star, where he makes start, 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 starts hitting pull-ups. I mean, like, you talked about the finishing at the rim, and yeah, he hasn't been a great finisher at the rim, um, but he has improved this year. Has he gotten to the line enough? No. But over the last month, that he's, has improved. So that, that's an interesting point. Re- real quick on that, I would push a little bit back on that. For his career, he's got a free throw rate of 30%. Last year's down to 26, but he's right there. He's at 31, which, by the way, is basically what Luka Doncic is at this year. And Jalen Brown has, to put out a comparable who, I mean, he's obviously better than RJ at a lot of things, but he's never hit over 30 in his career. In fact, for his career, he's a 26% free throw rate. So even already, I would say it's a little bit overstating to say that RJ isn't good at getting to the line. He's not elite at it, for sure. He's not like James Harden or DeRozan type foul magnet. But I mean, DeRozan himself was like mid, mid-30s early in his career, and he's like, for his career, at 40%. So that's not a huge gap for RJ to bridge. Um, like I, I don't think that where he's at there is kind of um, is too uh, concerning. But sorry, go ahead. No, I, yeah, I think that's fair. I think I, I think I probably oversold. Like he's he's not bad at getting to the line. He's 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 okay to yeah. He's 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 okay at getting to the line relative to his his role and position. But you combine that with the fact that he shoots them poorly and it and, the, and it kind yeah, of has it you know it's still like you know shooting a nice percentage from the free throw line is actually still pretty good like in terms of overall offensive efficiency but it's just like the kinds of like these kind of these, these plus factors that allow a player who has you know deficiencies somewhere in their in their scoring skill set to still rise above and be and be at least like you know for uh, you, you can be a you can be a kind of a star player with middling efficiency. Paul George has done it, like for for most of the first part of his career. Paul George was a fairly middling efficiency player. Donovan Mitchell has never been a Jason Tatum. Is yeah, the, like now let's say these guys are um, either better playmakers or defenders or both. Um, like I think, like as I mean, yeah, I, I know that you guys think highly of, of RJ as defender, but. He's not Paul George, so like he's not he's not he's not Indiana Paul George defensively. I think I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that. Um, so I, I think that like again, these are like you know it's it's a lot of if if there's a lot of these little things that just aren't there, that's a lot of little things that need to improve. And it's, you know you're talking about conditional probabilities off of them all improving, and it's like well maybe this way. Well, that's a lot of maybes that have to come together. Now to your point that like is he the guy? who has the most kind of like yeah is do i do i see like grimes ever being an on-ball guy to the point where no like in in in, like quickly no like maybe like if you're talking about like like tremendous upside potential maybe like like mitch has like the like the elite dive and dunk skill dive and dunk defensive anchor skill set in him screen assist well I, um, no, like but, so. No, I see. Yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. It's just like it's like you know. Okay, recognize that potential, but it's just like you you have to slow down a little bit, and like it, not every time, like every time he he has a he has two good games in a row. Oh, he's he's here. 
No, it's it, the reason the guys who are there are guys who do that four times in five nights over the course of multiple seasons. And it's so like, I, and you have, you have, can I, to finish up, with yeah, yep. you have a walking embodiment of getting carried away with this, like, guy who does it for a short span of time on your team. Also left-handed, also plays forward for the, for the Knicks. So just to, to as an, an illustration. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, um, so it's just, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to help you here is basically what I'm saying is like, slow down and like, let him, let him breathe a little bit. And, and, well, and I think, I think it works both ways too, because like, you'll see he has a bad game and then it's like, oh my God, trade him right now for Donovan Mitchell, throw him in a Damian Lillard trade. We cannot do this. Like it works both ways. Like, I, and Strange, I, strangely, I don't hear about those. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like, but, but, it, it's sort of like how you find a black hole. It's like the absence of light is like, <laughs> So, so like, I think the other thing too is his last month is like, like that's kind of what for me. I'm like, okay, this actually does look like a different player now to me. Like the last month, and and this happens sometimes with young players, right? Like, like they, it doesn't. It's not from the start of the season, but it clicks at a certain point, right? It just, oh, okay, this is a a mini leap he's making right now or something like that. Um, and like when I watch RJ bear over the last month, like that's really what I think is happening. And I like, yes, it helps that obviously he's getting more usage and they've, you know, Kemba is basically just hanging out in the corner and Evan has embraced being the third option now or whatever. But like, like ultimately I think he's also earning that usage because of how he's playing. Can he be more efficient? Does he need to be more efficient? Yes. But like, you are seeing those nights now more frequently where you're like, okay, this, like, it's not every four weeks or every three weeks. It's like, okay, this is happening now every week or a couple of times a week. And more importantly for me too, is like last year, he took a big step up. Uh, he shot, I think he had like what 53 and a half true shooting is what he finished on. But like he shot great from three last year. I think he shot 40 something percent, 41% about from three last year. Um, I think what's been encouraging for me is he's had big scoring game and like, but like, so like every big scoring game he had last year, and by the way, he only hit 30 once coming into the season, but every big scoring game he had last year was like very much buoyed by um, three point shooting, hot three point shooting. And I think what's been encouraging for me this year is that he's had big scoring games or productive offensive games without hot three point shooting. Uh, because like, I think that's an important thing that needs to happen for any score is like, you know, not, you're not, I mean, unless you're Steph, obviously if you're Steph then whatever, but like if you can be a productive and relatively efficient scorer, even on nights where your three ball isn't, where you're not going five to seven from three or whatever, um, that, that is a big thing. And I just think like you're seeing him make a step right now. That is what I wanted to see from him personally this season. I did not, and I don't expect him to be star level this season. Um, but I do think if he plays like this the rest of the way, I would feel very bullish on him going into year four is the best way I can put it. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, that's it. No, no, it's, I, 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 I hear, I like, I hear what you're saying, but no, if he, I mean, he's, hmm. Like no, he's been he last last month he's he has been you know 
a done a better job of being a moderately efficient high usage player than probably any other point in his career. So if he does, if he puts together like three straight more months of that, then yeah, I will, I will update my my opinion. It's just you know, then you put him in your top ten, right? Calm down. <laughs> he'll be he'll be he'll be just behind Ja. Don't worry. Um, who at this point will who at this point uh, will be in my top ten? But you know, again, we have the rest of the season to see if that if that holds up. So yeah. Um, no, I like again. It's just I like like I said. Just let it breathe. Like if at the end of the season he's he has done this, he's shown this progression over months and months and months, and it's real. So it show like it's not just he has these games, but it's like you look at you know if you go to look at his like basketball ref page, and it's like not the, the column that's actually just the same numbers like in order. It's just like, oh man, I thought I and I thought I saw improvement, but really his 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 efficiency is just the same as it was last year. Shit. Like like you don't want it like if you if, if you're seeing something more than that when you look at the whole season, because it all counts. You can't just count the good stretches. Like the player is his entire body of work. And so it's not like, well, when he's playing well, it's like, well, that when Jeff Green was playing well, he looked pretty good, and then he got first round draft picks traded for him. It was like everyone was like, crap, we did, we we got suckered in and gave a first round draft pick for Jeff Green, um, which you know, they, was a problem that 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 teams had. So I, I I lost my train of thought a little bit, but that, do you understand what I'm saying? It's just like I I like I I'm I'm. This is just maybe this is this is like a, a a me problem, but like I get very like uncomfortable with the the hype boom bust cycle, where through no fault of a player's own, a little a short bit of good play of of improve of of high level play gets extrapolated further, and then you get pissed off at the player when he kind of settles back down to his normal level. So that's a, yeah like. That's that's kind of where I'm coming from on this a little bit. Stacy, yeah, I think I mean I think that the the point I definitely agree with most is like there's a lot of little things to improve, and they are kind of it's not like one is going to have a multiplier effect on those. When we talk about defense, where he's not elite, we talk about free throws. I guess free throws and shooting, like those two are related. But um, yeah, I mean I think that that was a good point. So um, I definitely agree on that. Um, I'm probably somewhere between Marvin Williams and like Gordon Payward. I'm probably a little bit closer to thinking that that's a reasonable ceiling for him. Um, but, um, you know, I think I said Michael Finley once. Um, and I think Schwinn, I think you were not happy about that. No, I was, I was, no, what I, what I said was like, like, I, I think, I think Macri said something like, we should be thankful if RJ Barrett ends up having like the career of Michael Finley. And like, I'm sorry, but, when I when the Knicks draft somebody third overall, like you can sit there and show me all the fucking data and the charts and be like, well, actually, that's a reasonable outcome. And like, sure, yeah, that's a reasonable outcome. Like, I don't give a shit about a reasonable outcome. I want to actually have the outlier outcome. I want to hit well, for a the, home run for, at some point. So like, if you tell me, like, don't sit there and fucking tell me to be happy. Oh, be fucking thankful if RJ Barrett has Michael Finley's career. No, I'm not going to be fucking thankful about that. Like, Michael Finley was a good player in the NBA for a long time. Like a good player in the NBA for a long time, third overall pick. Like I don't know. Like I'm sorry, that's just not like an outcome that I look at and I'm like, wow, I'm so fucking thrilled by this, and I'm 
thankful on my knees, praying to the heavens, like, thank you so much for that. No, fuck that. Like, I want to draft a fucking Hall of Famer, you know? I'm not, I don't want to draft Michael Finley, who was a good player. Like, I'm sorry if I have a little bit more of, like, a higher expectation of somebody we drafted third overall. Like, that's so okay. fundamentally where I'm that, at. Like, you know who else is a third overall pick? Michael Jordan. That's true. So I, I just the, the, again the little bit of this. This is this is me. I'm trying to help you here. Uh, no, but it's like the difference between hope and expectation is really where where this kind of goes wrong. Like you yeah. hope he does, like you, and you maybe have some reason to believe he will do something. But setting that as the expectation is where you set yourself up to just be like then he, and then you get mad at the player and he's a bum and like and it's like that's that sucks. You know, yeah, I mean, like, look, if RJ Barrett ultimately ends up being like just like a, well, I think Finley was a two time All Star or something, three time yeah. All Star. Like, if that's like ultimately what he becomes and that's like really like the level he tops out at or whatever, I'm not going to sit there and be like, well, that was a terrible draft pick. But like, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed in the sense of you're hoping for more, right? Like, right. when you draft at the top of the draft, you're hoping to land one of these. A real, real needle. You want to, you want to, you want an all like you're hoping if you draft in the top three or top five, you want an all NBA level. Like you want a guy who every year is in in the mix for one of those those top fifteen slots. Like because those are the yeah. guy, those are the guys. Like you need one, probably two of those guys to be like a championship level team. So that's what you're hoping for. And right, and it's just you know. Being being realistic about how likely that is, like from the jump, it's very unlikely. And then when you when a guy kind of doesn't really hit right away, it becomes that you just that recedes a little further into the background. Like the difference in likelihood of getting there from a guy who starts his career the way Ja did and the way that that RJ did is just it's like there's like mm, some of those some of those top outcomes got just got a little harder, got a little less likely. All right. Well, uh, I think that's. Thank you. Sorry, that was a very awkward and abrupt ending. But that's having uh, some. But uh, my 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 laptop is about to shut down. So yeah. I. Uh, uh, sorry. All right. No, no, not a problem. Uh, Seth, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug before you get out of here. Uh, find me on Twitter at Seth Partnow. I have my my show on the Colin app. Uh, doing it three or four days a week. Uh, I have uh, this week. I've got big Waz, I think. I think. I think Nate Jones is coming on this week. Um, looking to confirm that in the next couple of days. I forget who else I have coming on. It's, it, 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 it all run, you can see it on the on on the app. And so, um, and uh, the book, the Mid Range Theory, is available uh, wherever online books are sold, and will soon be available in audiobook because we just sold the audio rights last week. So I'm excited about that, and I'm especially excited that I don't have to read it. Ah, nice. Uh, well, Seth, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's always it's I, I I can say it's been a pleasure even though you are the biggest RJ hater in the entire world and hate I, Knicks fans everywhere. <laughs> it's funny anyway. No, well, the, like I actually <laughs> I actually had a pretty good great grade on him entering the draft. But it, anyway, um, next time we can talk about that next time. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, thank you so All much. Right, Have thanks, a good one. thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thanks. Always fun uh, having Seth on, but uh, look, the trade deadline is upon us. It is, what, 3 p.m.? The deadline is 3 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, so, you know, uh, look, there's been a few trades. The Clippers have made a trade with Portland. Uh, that was 
an interesting trade to say the least. Uh, and you know, uh, then we also had a trade today uh, where Levert, Karis Levert, the uh, the ever ever young Karis Levert, got traded from Indiana to Cleveland. Uh, he got traded for a 2022 lottery protected second or first, sorry, um, Houston's 2022 second round pick, which is a pretty nice value, uh, and a 2027 second round pick. So. I don't know what this all says. Like, I saw a lot of people. Actually, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Levert trade because I saw a lot of people that were like, "That's great value." Like, I do think that's good value for Indiana. Um, I think that's like pretty fine value for Cleveland. I I actually really respect them, kind of going for it in a way. Like, they needed another perimeter creator with uh, Rubio's injury. Obviously, uh, Rubio's expiring. Also, going to Indiana in the deal. Um, I just really respect it. Like, they go for it. Like, the East is pretty open this year. You know, like, are they a favorite? No, they're not the favorite or anything like that. But, you know, could you see them make an Eastern Conference Finals run? Sure. Why not? You know, why not? Why not them? Um, and I just, I think it's worth it. And you know what? I also think some of that pick value, I think they'll they'll recoup some of that uh, whenever they move Sexton, which I think is almost assuredly going to happen now. Yeah, I mean, with both trades, uh, considering there is a combo guard on the Knicks, who is uh, on a pretty good contract that, um, you know, I was, you probably want to gauge their value. I don't think the early returns have been very encouraging on what we might get for Alec Burks. But on the vert, especially, um, it's funny because we just talked about RJ a lot. And like, you know, the vert kind of is that kind of player who is like, he, he hasn't really gotten a lead at any one thing. So it's a guy who's always been kind of inefficient in mid 20s, upper 20s usage, right? Um, like hasn't posted a, a, a year above 53 TS since like his rookie season. Uh, I think if you're Cleveland, you're betting on the context. But I mean, I think Levert has always been a player where the idea is better than who he is. Um, he can shoot, but the percentages have never been great because he has a shot selection issue. He can get to the rim, but he doesn't live there. Uh, he can finish pretty well. He has some creative finishes, but. Um, he's just an okay player. I think it's it'll be interesting though if there is something in t- contextually that can unlock him. But he's been in a variety of contexts, and I, I just don't know. Like, what do you see him becoming better in that context, or do you think it's just the efficiency thing is overblown with him? Um, or do you think maybe he turns into like a lockdown defender? Uh, I'm curious, like, how you think he fits, and if even if, if he just is who he's been, if that's a meaningful addition for Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think he, he really helps them. Like, I, I do, because I don't know if you've watched much of them this year, but I've been like... Cleveland or like, Indy? Cleveland. I've watched, um, yeah, I've watched a good amount, yeah. Like, the... I mean, what really... and I mean, it wasn't the only thing, but one of the things that really helped them early in the season is how good, even when Garland sat, right? Rubio was awesome running the show for them, even though he wasn't very efficient, um, which might surprise you if you're a Knicks fan, because... Yeah, and he went in 19 for 20 on threes or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like... But like he, he really helped kind of carry the bench unit when when Garland sat. And that him his injury hurt them because they really lost in those minutes. I know they got Rondo, but like Rondo is more of a theory at this point than anybody that purposefully helps you. Uh do I think Karis Levert helps them? Like, yeah, I do, because you know, to your point, like, yeah, he's not particularly efficient. He takes up a lot of usage without it's a lot of empty calorie-ish type of stuff but like you know when you're talking about replacing whatever it is you know uh, 15 minutes a game that Garland isn't playing 
if you stick him in those minutes, like this is a guy who on any given night can look like a star. Like he can rant, like he has the variance upside of star level performances. You know, last week he dropped 40 points in a game uh, against Chicago. And I think that variance is worth it for them to swing on because, you know, like, why not? Like, wh- like you know, what is what is really the upside you're talking about here for a pick that's, at, I mean, at this point, they're almost dead certain to be a playoff team, uh, even before the trade. Like, you're talking about a 20 to 30 pick. And yeah, we can sit there and be like, well, you know, guys get picked in that range every year. They make a difference. Sure. But like, they have the chance to maybe do something this year right now. And they still have plenty of young talent. You know, Garland, like, this isn't like their window's shut. Uh, they have Garland, they've got Allen, they've got Mobley, who I think is going to be a superstar. Um, like, it's worth it, I think, if you don't really, I, I just don't have a problem with it. And again, like I said, I think that Sexton is going to help recoup some of that value. So if you are basically betting on we can recover everything we traded, or more or less, everything we traded out for Levert, it's worth it. I think Levert makes them better by addressing one of their biggest weaknesses as a team. Uh, and, you know, it is worth noting that he did have a positive on-off in Indiana this year for whatever it was worth. Um, he's been mostly a net neutral on-off player for his career. So, like, is it a yeah, huge I mean, you, difference? Yeah, but I mean, if he can soak up uses on the bench, um, you know, threshold's a little bit lower, you could probably hide him from any kind of tough matchups. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The two questions I would kind of have as a follow-up would be, a, do you think this is in, is do you think this says anything even more than might already be inferred on the status of Colin Sexton long term? And B, oh, he's gone. He's gone. Yeah. He's and, gone, and, right? Like, I, I think. And, do you think this was the final nail in the coffin, or would you have assumed that even before this trade? I thought that before the trade because I just thought they're so good. Like they're so good without him. And yeah, you can tell me he scored an efficient twenty four points per game and all this type of stuff, but like. They don't need that now. Like Garland is the guy; he's the he's the straw that stirs the drink. Um, Mobley is going to be a star. Jared Allen has, you know, he had a very good case to be an All Star this year. Like they don't really need somebody who like. How is Sexton going to be an effective player? Right, you're going to have to give him like twenty five plus usage, and him and Garland have to play a shit ton together. That makes no sense because. You want your like you want more complimentary players now at this point. So I just thought Sexton was like a guy that they were going to flip anyway. And you know, you look at the cap sheet now. Like Karis Levert makes seventeen and a half million next year. They obviously are paying Love still. Jared Allen has twenty million a year. Uh, Garland is up for extension at the end of this year, and I would bet pretty good money that if he plays the way he's playing, he's probably going to get a max right. Um, Marketing is making sixteen million. Like they have enough. They're not. They're not like way over the cap or anything. But you, if you, if you're gonna have to extend Sexton, uh, it just doesn't really make sense. So I, I've assumed for a while that he's probably out of there. Um, which again, like you know, if you're talking about the Knicks, like I, I would wonder. I would wonder if you can get in on a, a Sexton deal right now. Uh, maybe buy low. Like you know, is that a guy that you'd be willing to if you're the Knicks? can you trade a lottery protected first for him this year and maybe roll over, maybe becomes top 10 protected next year? Like, is that something you'd be willing to do? I don't know. Um, but I do think he's definitely more gettable now than he was before the trade. Sure. Yeah. And then the other question I would have, I mean, so Kevin Love has gotten some chat or at least from 
Twitter on you know six men of the year. It's nice to see him have a little bit of a resurgence. Um, you know, do you see that as? I mean, Levert got to play with Sabonis and all of that. Um, but um, you know, do you think using Love maybe staggering Mobley a little bit more could also be solutions to the bench problem, or do you think it has to be someone in the Levert mold where it's like a you know that combo guard type uh, heavy usage guard? Um, I, I thought just watching them, I just feel like they needed more creativity off the dribble. Like other than Garland, they don't really have anybody that is shaking up defenses, right? Like he's not nobody's like whatever you say about Levert, his efficiency and all that stuff, he gets into the lane constantly, constantly, and the fact that he does it at his size is impressive. I also think it makes him somewhat versatile. I know he's not a great shooter, but like, I definitely think you can play him and Garland together. Like, I don't see like that. That's not a huge problem to me. I think they can play together. Uh, he can close games even if he doesn't start games. Like stuff like that is pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. Like I, I do think they needed somebody like that. I, I agreed with that kind of focus, and could they have worked around it and stuff like that? Sure, but. I do think, like, you know, we see this with the Knicks, like, that not, like, when you don't have a lot of dribble penetration, creativity off the dribble, um, there's only so much you can do offensively. You know, it's funny because I just shit on Tibbs, like, for about 35 minutes of that pod. But um, I do think in some cases, like, he is limited by the options he has, right? Like, we don't have a dynamic off the bounce player. None of our bigs, other than Drew, like, none of our centers, anyway, are particularly. Uh, versus, yeah, they're not skilled. All right, let's with be honest. Ball, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not skilled with the ball, so you can't do a whole lot with them other than what we do do with them. Um, huh. so yeah, you just said doo doo. Sorry, go ahead. No, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought I thought that was an interesting trade, and and to get to your point, like about Burks, like I don't know what it says to me, like, and that's kind of wh- what I was curious about because. To me, I thought the value that Cleveland gave up in terms of picks and stuff was maybe like a slight overpay. Like I don't I didn't have a huge problem with it, but I can see why some people think it's an overpay. But like if anything that actually encouraged me maybe a little bit more about what Burks could return. Like if Karis LeVert is effectively returning to late first round pick value uh and an expiring contract, like Burks we should be able to get what, like two seconds an expiring contract for him or something. Like, I don't think that's, that's actually pretty encouraging uh, in some ways. Not that but I ever. Norm Powell also kind of went for not that much. Right. So that would be part of it. Well, the Powell. So we should talk about that a little bit. Uh, Powell got traded from Portland. To... Oh, sorry. I did want to note one other thing on the yep. vert. Yep. He is shooting 38% from three on spot ups this year. Um, I think probably them featuring Sabonis has gotten them some better opportunities. Um, but you do wonder um, if, you know, being able to play off of, a, off of guys like Love and um, not have to create as much, um, you know, if he can thrive a little bit more. Because I don't think he's, like, his form has never, like, looked terrible to me um, as a shooter, but he takes a lot of tough pull-ups, right? So maybe that helps him be more efficient as well, playing with a couple bigs who can create for him too. Yeah, potentially. Um, but like, you know, honestly, like 53 true shooting, it's not terrible. Like, you yeah, know, for it's like not a like, bench go- combo guard, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. So I, yeah, I, maybe it makes him more efficient. Even if it doesn't, I think he's okay. Um, 
But yeah, pa- so Powell gets traded from Portland to L.A., the Clippers. Um, he goes with Robert Covington. And in return, Portland gets, what, a second-round pick? Uh, they get Keon Johnson, and they get... Shit, I can't remember the contract they got. Whatever it was, some bullshit contract. Oh, Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe yeah. yeah. I don't know. Were you a big Keon Johnson guy? I know a lot of people liked him in the draft, but he's to me, he was just like an athlete with without a position, really. Like, and he's not that big, so I I, yeah, didn't, he, I was never enamored with him. I I think Stingy was actually a huge Keon Johnson guy because uh, the motor, the defensive tools were there. Um, and what was really intriguing for me is like he wasn't really a shooter, but he has like he had a really nice pull up mid range game, and he had a really high release. Um, and I've always been intrigued by guys like that because I do think that when you extend that, that becomes a very interesting player. And he was a decent playmaker. Um, so like, I, like the potential was there, like tightening up the handle. You could see him as a guy who's just this athletic guy who could like dunk on anyone, uh, have enough of a mid range game to keep them honest. Um, and then also be like a guy who plays way bigger than he is on defense, but he measured at six, three with a six, seven wingspan at the combine, um, which really hurt him. But at the end of the day, I mean, combine is just that right. Davion Mitchell measured, came in with the same height and measure as, and wingspan as Trey Burke. And obviously he plays much bigger than that. Um, I haven't followed Keon in the league that's, that's that much this year. I do know he was, if not the youngest player in the draft, one of the youngest players in the drafts, so that was a factor too. Um, and so, I, I mean, I do, I, I think the fact that they didn't get a whole lot back in compensation for Norm means, A, I think Portland wanted to, was committed to kind of ripping the Band-Aid off and leaning into this new phase. Maybe was just wanted to get it done, so they gave up some value. But B, I would imagine their scouts did like Keon Johnson quite a bit. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's fair to, to take a shot on that. And um, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a guy without a position. Um, because I think with his wingspan, his strength, and his athleticism, like I think he can play the two. Um, but he's very much a project, so um, we'll see. But I think there are there is a lot to be intrigued there still. Um, yeah, uh, I, I so the the I think there's a few things going on with this trade. Um, Portland is definitely slashing salary. Bledsoe is effectively in a. Expiring contract. He's got a $4 million partial guarantee next year, but that's about it. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, I also think that there's been some suggestion and reporting that Norm's contract, he's signed for five years, $90 million this offseason, that teams weren't so bullish on the back end of the deal. So that drove down the price because nobody really wants to have Norm on their books for five years. So you're kind of reducing the premium you got to pay to get him, even though he's good right now. Um, I think that's part of it. And Portland, I, I, I just think Portland, maybe maybe they love Keon Johnson. You know, maybe they love Keon Johnson. Maybe they think this kid's going to be a star. Because you know what? They've had a lot of success developing these type of players, like those type of tinier combo guard type of dudes, right? Um, Lillard, CJ, Simons now. I think that's about it. So that's all part of it. And I look, I, I think CJ McCollum is going to trade it. Also, um, Nasir Little is kind of a raw wing athlete in that mold. And he's he was coming along well this year before he got hurt. So 
I think this, yeah. Keon Johnson definitely fits that mold for them. Yeah. So I, I think, like, I didn't love the trade. I thought it was fine, to be completely honest with you. Like, I think it made sense to me for both teams. Um, I think Portland, like, exactly what you said, they're kind of, they need to reset a little bit. And look, like, if Dame's going to be out the rest of the year or whatever, like, you might as well just lean into tanking this year. Uh, see where you end up because you're not making the playoffs anyway. And, you know, I, I just don't, see, I, I didn't really, like, I understood why that contract maybe wasn't the most appealing. So, yeah, I, I thought it was okay for both teams. And I also obviously understood it, like, the Clippers took on salary. I think they're going to end up paying like 25 million more now in luxury tax this year because of that trade. Because um, it like added 4 million in salary to their books. But, like, for them, it makes complete sense, right? Like, you know, this is a trade as much for this year as much as it is for the future, right? Because Norm, you know, now you've got interesting lineups. Right? You could play Reggie, Norm, Kawhi, PG together next year, and then a center. Like, that's a tough-ass lineup to defend. Um, and I also wonder if they plan on move. Like, I don't know if they're going to move Marcus Morris this year, but I do think it probably makes him a little bit more expendable in the offseason, right? Like, now that you have Norm, if Kawhi and PG are back, um, that was also kind of my thought in it as well. We can we can give them a top twenty five protected pick for Marcus Morris. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I mean I love the trade for the Clippers to be honest. Um, I think Norm is a great fit, um, and um, you know they, they I mean around those two guys you can never have enough shooting. Um, I thought that that was a team that before they got hurt, like, this is a team that has had the talent to compete for a championship when healthy. I really like that trade for them. Going back to Portland, you did mention the financial situation, and they have, for the longest time, something they have tried is to play two undersized guards together in a backcourt and dedicate a large percent of their salary to them. They've now had a third guard emerge um, in Anthony Simons, who is a restricted free agent this year. Um... You know, and the guard market. Let's be honest. This is why Jalen Brunson is pretty confident as well. The guard ma- market, as every Knicks fan knows, is pretty thin. Um, you know, do you think it's a situation where Portland matches anything? I mean, would you try to give him a Godfather deal? And B, I bring him. Obviously, I was going to bring this up because I know you've been mentioned. You've talked about this a lot. Um, do you think you know it, how do you rank CJ among some of the other options that have been talked about? in terms of the Knicks trying to trade or maybe buy low or buy on a discount with the, the fire sale going on, um, you know, CJ versus, you know, Brunson, maybe a guy like Sexton. Uh, definitely curious on both your thoughts. Or, like, waiting for a guy like, I mean, I know Mo Loves Knicks is, like, on board with trying to give Simons kind of a godfather offer and pull him, so. Um, I, I think they're going to match it. I just think, like, the way they're moving, uh, I don't see why they would let him go. I mean, he's like their only young talent that has star upside. You know, Nazir Little's, I agree, he's definitely made strides this year. I don't see any type of upside like that. Um, and, like, what, Simon is 22 or something? Like, he's, you can't let him walk, you know? That's the entire point. And I'd be shocked. Like, I really, really would be shocked if, they don't match anything. Like, because if he walks, how do you replace him? Like, 
or Dame or Dame CJ again. But yeah, yeah you don't have I, the, you're still old, right? So yeah, I just don't see that. Like so, you know, effectively to me, the way I look at it is. Simons buys you some time. Uh, if you flip CJ, it actually helps you in a way. If you think Simons is as good as he's shown since kind of getting this uptick in usage and stuff. Um, if he's that good and you can convert CJ into an upgrade at a different position, when Dame comes back, you might have a better team. Like you probably will have a better team than you would have otherwise. You know, this is why I had thrown this out there. Um, you know, Randall for CJ type of thing. But like, you know, forgetting whether you would do it or not, but like if the if the Blazers did that, you know, that is a more complete team than what they had previously. So yeah, I, I you know, I would I would be shocked. I would actually be shocked if they let Simons go, regardless of what the offer is. So with that in mind, I mean, is do you think Randall for CJ is the right kind of framework? because um, there are downsides to that for us, right? Namely that um, you are adding kind of an older player, um, you know, you're, you're adding an older player and it's McCollum, uh, who has had injury issues in the past. Um, he's also not a great defender and all of those things, but, um, but you know, it, it, you know, how would you compare that to some of the, like, we just talked about Sexton, Brunson, obviously, or there's De'Aaron Fox, like where would CJ rank among some of those options for, for the Knicks to acquire? Um, or just playing it straight and like saying, like play quickly, yeah. Rokas, your goodbye. I would, McBride, right? I would probably. I like CJ more than Fox, to be completely honest. Um, I know that most people will fundamentally disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm open. To and age is not enough of a factor there to kind of even that out. No, it's not. Like, and I, I actually, I, I go back and forth on Fox all the fucking time because. The things he does well are like he's elite at, you know, like dribble penetration, finishing at the rim. That is elite. He's elite. There's no question about it. He's elite at. But like the things he sucks at, or the things he's not elite at, are actually quite bad. Like the three point shooting is flat out bad. It's not subpar. It's not below average. It's fucking bad. Um, His off ball play in general is not inspiring. His defense is really bad. Like, there's just like that stuff worries me, and I, not that CJ is a, some amazing defender either, but like I think that CJ is a more polished scorer. Um, I like that he can play off ball too. Obviously, yeah, so. I like that CJ's contract is shorter, also. Um, and I just think like when you're talking about what are you trying to prioritize right now, and this is like the what the Knicks really need to determine: what are you trying to prioritize right now? Because I watch a game like last night, and, and like I'm happy Seth came on here and talked about why the fuck he doesn't believe in RJ Barrett. I don't really give a shit. I do. Um, so when, when I watch a game like last night's game, a performance like that, to me, it's like we should be doing everything. Like our entire plan and focus as a franchise should be to not not prioritize RJ Barrett, but to optimize him, to put him in a position where we can develop him in the best way possible. And I just don't see how a guy like Darren Fox helps you do that. I do think a guy like CJ can help you do that because of his ability to play off ball, because he's a three-level scorer. Um, I think those things matter a lot when you're talking about it. And, you know, I just, I would feel a lot more comfortable playing him with RJ than, than Fox. Now I will be completely honest. I have not watched a lot of the Blazers this year. Um, 
I don't know if he's tangibly taken uh, a downturn, but like on the surface, when I've just kind of caught them playing, I don't think so. His numbers are basically in line for his career. Like he is a metronome, CJ. Like he basically is the same player year after year after year. Um, I just, I, I feel pretty comfortable with that. And so, I don't know. That's just my thinking on it. Uh, as far as like Brunson and stuff, I don't think we're getting Brunson at all at this deadline. If that's going to happen, that would be an off-season move. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. But One going guy, for CJ now would probably preclude you from doing that, right? So, yes, correct. Um, so, I mean, what would you prefer, I guess, there? I mean, with Brunson, you'd have to like have... And Leon would. I mean, he's his godfather, and he was his agent before he uh, took over leading the front office for the Knicks. You would have to know that Brunson is coming to like basically pass on not doing anything. And I don't know that. So, yeah, that's a question. Uh, the other thing, too, is, um, you know, what... I mean, what are the Knicks trying to do with this deadline? Because to me, I look at this team right now, I don't think the Knicks should make some massive trade. I mean, you always have to be opportunistic and open to possibilities. But realistically, like, I don't like this. I The Fox thing, I don't understand it. I got to say this, too. Knicks fans got to fucking stop worshiping mid. Okay? Like, stop treating De'Aaron Fox like he's this franchise-altering fucking talent who... Like he's not. He's De'Aaron Fox. He's a good player, potentially. Maybe even a really good player. Maybe you even get an all star year or two from him in the right situation. But like he you don't trade I promise you if the Knicks trade Julius Randle for De'Aaron Fox, some deal centered around those two things. Like those two uh, as the main centerpieces of the transaction. I promise you, you you're not gonna get De'Aaron Fox and all of a sudden the team is healed and everything is great and everything fits perfectly together. You know, like no healed would come separately. I don't think they could send both of them <laughs> the same trade. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, but like, yeah, you can't. He's not going to fix everything. He's not some fucking superstar top ten player who you just get and everything is great and you've solved the Knicks. Like, no, he's tricky in his own way to build around. Like, you know, you want to bitch about stuff that why it's hard to build around Julius Randle. Like, it's not easy building around De'Aaron Fox either because the guy can't fucking shoot. So you've got a 30 usage guard. Well, so, so here's here's the thing, right? I do think he can shoot off ball. He's been a good off ball shooter. The problem is, is he someone who can, like, to your point, who is just not going to move off ball? Well, what um, does he shoot off ball? Uh, this year, I believe it was like at 38 when I checked, but it might have gone down. Um, but I, I can check right now. Sorry. I mean, 38 is okay. That, that's pretty or it, solid. It might have been last year where he was – let me look up. Because I remember being more encouraged by that and then realizing, like, realizing – and that's kind of the thing, too, because I don't think you can just... I'm not trying to hand-wave it and say, well, pull-ups are dragging it down, because he needs. you need to take pull-ups if you're going to run as much pick-and-roll and be on ball as much as he is. Having said that, uh, it at least tells me that he's not someone who's just hopeless as a shooter. So this year, he's shooting 34.5 on catch-and-shoot. Uh, last year, I think it was actually a lot higher. Um, last year, the year before. So um, last year, he was at 39% on, on catch-and-shoot. Um, so like, I don't think that's something he can't do at all. Like, I actually think he'd be pretty good as a spot up shooter. And like, that's, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of parallels with John Wall. The difference is if you're not a good pull up shooter and they can go under screens with you, like that just is what it is. We're not going to pay 
De'Aaron Fox to be a floor spacer. It's just, but at least what I would say is it's good that he can do that at least, right? So it's not like a Westbrook thing where, or uh, like Alfred Payton thing, we're just going to ignore him. They can't. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just looking through it right now. Like he actually thought, he shot, shot, sorry, 30% on 3.3 pull-up threes per game last year. That's actually not terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not good to be clear, but like, that's not a number that quickly is at like 34, I think. Yeah. So just that's not a number where teams can just like let you walk into threes all the time. This year he's been atrocious. He's been like 18% uh, on 2.2 attempts. If you go through his career, he's been more or less kind of around 30, it looks like uh, 30%. So it's not atrocious. I guess that would give me more hope. It's just, I don't know, man. I just, it makes me a little worried too. Like, I just don't know how that fit is with RJ. That really worries me. Um, I know people really like the idea of like him pushing the tempo with us. You know, maybe he would. Maybe he would. Maybe if and if he does that, like I, I don't know. If he singularly is able to speed up the offense to a high degree, does that unlock all these young guys like RJ, Obi, quickly? Even you know, does that does that unlock them? Yeah, maybe it does. Um, and then the other what question is passing. I mean, because I like to. Sorry, you can finish the thought too. But I am also curious, kind of, in your breakdown on his passing abilities. But I mean, I think he's like okay at driving kick stuff, not the best. Uh, his passing percentage, like the amount he passes off of drives, just for some content, uh, he passes out of drives this year less often than RJ Barrett. Um, assists less often than RJ Barrett. Like, I don't know what that looks like throughout his career, but. Uh, he definitely plays sometimes with blinders on, and I think some of his gaudier assist total numbers are a function of having the ball a shit ton versus like genuinely elite playmaking. Um, so that's that. I don't think he's very good. It's funny for a guy who is a pretty good scorer in pick and roll. I don't like his passing at all at a pick and roll. He just goes so fast that I don't think he does a good job ever of finding the roll man, um, which is a big reason why they started playing Halliburton more with him. And having Halliburton effectively run the pick and rolls with um, what's his name, Rashawn. Yeah. yeah. So that that would be another concern for me. Um, you know, it's not like an unreasonable trade. And I also think the other consideration you got to make, and this is I think this is fair. I forgot who brought this up to me, but like, is Fox? If ultimately Julius is not the guy, like he's not a superstar or a star even, and you ultimately would want to trade him to get that guy. Is Julius a better kind of, um, what do you want to call it? Is he a better centerpiece for a star trade than De'Aaron Fox? I don't know. Like, let's just let, look, let's just put the cards on the table here. I think the Knicks would love to have Donovan Mitchell, right? There's all these connections with Utah and all this shit, like Leon was his agent, Walt Perrin, Johnny Bryant, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. Um, obviously, he's from the area, too. Is if if the Jazz are willing to trade him because he requests out, and that's how this shit works nowadays in the NBA, is De'Aaron Fox a more appealing piece for them in trade than than Julius Randle? Almost I would definitely, think so. right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that to me, if they're playing like seven dimensional chess, like I do think that's pretty. I think that should be that is a value. That's not an inconsequential. Um, aspect to look at. And I will also say this because Tyrese has talked about this. Tyrese has mentioned previously that he doesn't like the spacing of fucking uh, Fox 
like a Fox Grimes, RJ, OB, Mitch lineup, yeah, the spacing isn't great because you got two guys who can't shoot in the front court. Uh, Mitch, not at all, obviously. And then Fox, who has not shown himself to be a very proficient shooter yet. And even RJ, RJ who's not some yeah. great shooter, right? He's capable, yeah. but that's kind of it. Yeah, so the, your, your spacing isn't great. Like, that is a valid concern, but I also think there's always ways to create space aside from just, like, who can shoot. You know, like, you can be creative, and that's up to coaching. So if Tibbs can't do that, then you got to move somebody. But I do think, like, that lineup, it could be fun, man. Like, it, it could be a fun team. So I'm not totally against Fox. I just, I think people just need to pump the brakes on, like, what, like, what is De'Aaron Fox? You know, he's not a franchise savior or franchise-altering talent. I don't think so, anyway. Um, is he a hooper or is he a basketball player? He's definitely a hooper. He's definitely a hooper. Um, so that that is definitely worth noting. Um, I, I guess, like, and, and look, Cam Reddish is also somebody I think of in this vein. Like, is he attractive as a piece in a star trade for a certain team? Like, I could see that's. I was going to mention that, right? Because I think that's why everyone's like, oh, he traded a first-round pick. Like, what do you think has more value for trading for a star? That heavily protected pick that keeps rolling over and that it, at best is going to be like somewhere around 20, whether it's this year or in a couple of the other years, or is it like, um, you know, um, or is it Cam Reddish? And at this moment in time, I would have to say it's Cam Reddish. Yeah. I mean, the Knicks effectively got an extra asset out of it too. So the, like, it wasn't just the first, they gave up a first to get Cam and a second. So, I mean, you can dismiss the second all you want, but just to your point of like Cam clearly then just by, the well, we had to give up Kevin Knox. So, it's two assets for two assets. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Kevin Knox is killing it, but like, yeah, just even by your, like, you know, just by that very basic standard, right? Yeah, he's he's worth more than the first. Um, I do. Okay, look, I, we can't. I, I have to talk about this because it's so good. This Harden stuff is great. I love it. I love <laughs> all of the net stuff. It's like it's making fucking, you Harden. <laughs> yeah, it's like actually basketball cocaine. Um, I just want more. And I need it now. Uh, it's awesome. I love it. I don't think it could happen to a more deserving piece of shit franchise and group of star players uh, in the NBA. Uh, just miserable personalities, miserable fan base, miserable franchise. Just so pathetic all around. I love it. I'm enjoying the shit out of it. And I actually, like, it's weird. I don't really hate the Sixers. I kind of realized that this weekend. I was like, I don't really hate the Sixers. Like, I, I hated. I always hated one player on the Sixers, and he hasn't played for them this season. So exactly, <laughs> and so like, but I just, I kind of really want Maury to just like get one over on on the Nets too. Like, I would love if ultimately they're just like, yeah, look, like we'll give you Simmons, we'll give you fucking Danny Green, give us Harden. Like, I would love for that trade to happen. I think that would be awesome, and it would make me very happy. Because that entire team, like, it's just a complete shit show. I mean, it has not worked. They put all their chips in on this. I understand why they did it. I don't think you can totally hate on them for doing it. But this was the downside. And, you know, I I love that it's happening. I mean, this is like, like honestly, when they traded for Harden, if I told you in a year this is the situ- like this is the state of play, that's like the worst case scenario, is it not? Um, well, the worst case scenario would have been like none of them play at all, and they like miss the playoffs and shit. So I could have envisioned that if like KD just they're in the plan right I mean, now. The worst case scenario, the worst case scenario would have been KD 
being a shell of his former self because of the injury. So that would have, so, but yeah, I see your point. It's definitely on the, the left end of the bell curve. He's also like, he's not even played, I think he's played like 45% of all games since he's been in at uh, KD. So like, I mean, it's just all around, like, they're not getting, you mortgage your future. Like, I mean, this is the best part. They did the fucking, they did the trade twice. They did the same trade twice. They did it again. Um, I was listening to a NetSpaces earlier, though, and they were actually talking about this. But, like, I mean, Mark's effectively sold out. Like, he... How how many times do we have to hear about their fucking culture and all this shit? And as soon as they had the chance for stars, they sold out. They sold all of that out to get those guys and punted on everything that they had spent years and years telling us was so great about Brooklyn and about what they were building. And that is great. I love it. I'm enjoying every minute of it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, it's it would be hilarious going back to the Maury thing because, like, if you look at, like, Hooper Twitter, right, the two players that they seem to idolize more than anyone else are Durant and Kyrie. And obviously, like, Daryl Morey and analytics are, like, the opposite for them and, like, the, the Antichrist. So that kind of fallout from the trade would also be interesting to me. Um, oh, I by the way, just just in that vein, just real quick, did you see that uh, Ball Don't Stop gave uh, gave RJ a little Twitter? I retweeted it. Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, it was good to see. No, I mean, I I don't even think he's the. I, for for what it's worth, I'll say this: I think that like how he thinks about the game isn't exactly how I think about it. But he does his homework, and um, he actually brought up a really good point. I thought it was really interesting. He was like, "I don't." He's like, "If the Nets can trade Harden for Ben Simmons, I don't think they should do that." He's like, I think they should trade Ben Simmons then and try and get Bradley Beal. And he actually laid out a pretty good argument. He's like, look, like Ben Simmons is not a guy. He's like, look at how they play. He's like, it's basically a glorified pickup ball, right? Like, it's like, just do whatever the fuck you want, one-on-one shit. He's like, why would you bring Ben Simmons into that? Because that's not how he plays. He's like, if you, but he's like, you put Beal out there, though, and like, and I actually thought that was a pretty good point. So I'm like, you know what? Like, he might, like, that might be true. You know, like, that actually is a pretty good point. Like, if you're if you're trying to emphasize because you have a win like they're the most win now team right in the NBA like there's no the tomorrow Nets? Yeah. Uh, yeah the Lakers I would say but the Lakers okay they're both even equal let's just say yeah. um like there is no tomorrow so even if you think maybe Simmons down the line it doesn't really matter like if you think Beal helps you win a championship this year more likely than Simmons that's the move you have to make I think. Um, but I thought that was an interesting point, and I agree. Like, I I don't agree. I think sometimes he actually just says shit to like go viral and kind of be controversial. But I actually do think like his perspective at times can be like interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't I don't hate. I mean, I think like there are yeah there. I mean there are. I mean there are people who are too much on the other side too. Um, there's accounts that are like you know. Um, so I mean it, it's it makes for like, interesting like mosaic. Seth. <laughs> uh there are a lot worse accounts than seth right um i think but yeah maybe like like baldwin stop is kind of the figurehead i guess for a lot of like that caricature even though i think he brings a lot more insight i think a lot of fans especially the people who come out seth for like his rj takes also kind of view him as a figurehead for a lot of stuff he's i mean if you read his book he's got a much more nuanced view uh getting back to the topic at hand you've read baldwin stop's book 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it's all about one rule pull-ups, two rule pull-ups. <laughs> where you are at the elbow, uh, who you are at the elbow would be a fire name for a book. That's probably uh, the best thing anybody's ever said about basketball, by the way. <laughs> who you are at the elbow. <laughs> I actually, my I bruised my elbow the other day because I, like an idiot, I slipped on the ice in New York and walked outside <laughs> and was fucking frozen over. Um, any back to the topic, I um, I I think Philly Philly is probably the team I. I don't want to hate on Giannis, but man, if Embiid is healthy, I, I just really like the Sixers team. Uh, it would be between those two teams at this point for me, unless Brooklyn gets their shit together. Uh, and to your point earlier, I think Cleveland absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. Um, and uh, Levert should help. Um, and Chicago. Like, as well, I hate saying it. Cause they I have, have to get healthy. Them. They have to, yeah, get, they have to get healthy, but like, I mean, there's, they can, the, I, I, it's pretty annoying because I hate them so much, but like, they can score. They can score. On anybody, there's no team that's going to lock them down for 48 minutes. Like it's just not. Um, yeah, I so, mean, I I do want to see if that defensive scheme, like no rim protection, but a bunch of scrappy perimeter guys, can work for them in the playoffs. Um, where I do think, like, because I think they get away with a lot of contact. Like, not to diminish what they're doing or whatever, but they kind of. It's like I, I've made this comp before, but it's like those Seattle Seahawks defenses that basically knew they're not going to call pass interference in every play, and Michigan State basically did the same thing under D'Antonio. Um, it's the same thing with the the Bulls, where like you can play Lonzo at the four and have him be super physical, and like referees don't want to foul them out in the playoffs. And you also get away with that play. because you also get away with that because he's smaller, so they like let you get away with more. Yeah, exactly. I think in the playoffs though, there is there are more. I mean, we saw this with Shaq too. Shaq was a dominant postseason player. Um, and I, I wonder how much of it is him getting calls in the playoffs that he wouldn't get in the regular season, right? Um, because the emphasis is more on, on getting the calls right. But Chicago definitely, like, DeRozan, the way he's playing this year, as well as Levine, uh, as well as Vooch, like, you're not locking, to your point, like, that's too many things to cover, right? You have to basically hope that they go, go cold for stretches, and you have to you have to basically turn them into the Phoenix Suns, right? What the Spurs were able to do for the, to the Phoenix Suns, I mean, like, the D'Antoni Suns, um, you have to be able to punish them that way. Get them um, suspended. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like um, I, I think that. But it's a wide open East. I think that this, if if the Sixers got Harden, um, for this, yeah, for the for the same reasons, I, I think the argument for Simmons on the Nets is that he would shore up the defense more than Beal would. Like, yeah, if you get Beal there, right? What is he really? He's not changing your flow. So it's basically just that the assumption is that trading Harden is only because he's a malcontent, and it's not looking at it as maybe having three ball dominant isolation guys isn't the right thing. Or if you are going to run this kind of get out of the KD's way offense, you want someone like um, Simmons to shore up your D. Um, but yeah, um, but. Um, but I think if that trade happens, I, I think the better, the, the best reasoning I think would be if you trade, um, if you trade Harden to Washington, um, you haven't, you haven't created, you, you, you haven't, I mean, if they trade him to Philly, they're hurting themselves because they're also now making Philly the prohibitive favorites. Like Washington, if you, if, if they have Harden and, and their team, that's not going to be any better than it is now if they trade Beal. So, um, that's, um, that's kind of my view on that, but it is very, I mean, so many, I, I'm kind of sad. I got blocked by Billy Reinhardt. 
um, because I would love to see more of, of what he's up to. How you doing, Billy? Um, because there, it was it was torturous, right? What we had to hear, and it's sad because I think Twitter makes things a lot worse. I have a lot of friends in real life that are Nets fans who are, I like talking ball with. I like watching games with them, um, and you know they weren't insufferable when they got Katie. I mean, they're happy. Uh, it is worth noting a few of them are you know even when that happened they were like man like I, like we hate Spencer Dinwiddie but like. He was that kind of emblematic of that, like the, that underdog kind of culture, right? And all of that for them, and they did lose that, and they that was a, that, I mean, that burrow and their fans, right? A lot of them identified with, you know, they might be newer to basketball, they might be, you know, they might not be from New York. They kind of identified with that that mentality, right? The 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 good vibes thing, and you're right, and it's gone now, and. So I think that in itself, there's going to be a little bit of a sentimental thing. And then you add in the fact that now they're not winning. And um, and I mean, I, I genuinely, I, I do feel a little bit bad for people like that. People I don't feel like bad for at all are the sanctimonious people. Um, it, obviously, net income is in that group. Um, you know, but even even media like Chris, Christian Winfield or Bondi has done this, right? They, I mean, the double standard that was given to the Nets. And anytime we complained about it, it was always like, well, yeah, the Nets can get away with that because they signed Durant and Harden and Kyrie, right? So the Knicks are losing. If the Knicks start winning, people will shut up. Well, now the Nets aren't, aren't getting the benefit of that either. And, um, and they're not getting much scrutiny because, frankly, there just isn't a lot of fan base. I mean, I'm sure they've tried the Nets for clicks thing. And, I mean, you have your Durant and Kyrie fans, but within this city they're not the most important team <laughs> nobody gives a fuck about no let's nobody gives a fuck about them they've won, they've lost 8 in a row and nobody gives a shit because nobody fucking cares about the nets and nobody's ever cared about the nets because they're a fucking dog shit team and a dog shit franchise that has no fucking standing in the nba their greatest fucking claim they they like what have they done like they fucking have been so much more successful than the knicks in this fucking century and nobody gives a fuck nobody gives a single fucking fuck nobody cares because nobody will ever care about them. Like, that's the reality of the situation. They literally have KD, they have Harden, they've got Kyrie, and they are less... Like, the bigger storyline in New York is that Julius Randle gives the Knicks fans a thumbs down. Like, that should tell you everything you need to know about their level of importance and anything. Nobody gives a shit about them. Even their own fucking writers don't give a shit about them. They only fucking exist to, like, clown the Knicks. That's their only purpose. That's why nobody cares about them when they suck and only care about them when they're doing good. That's it. That's the only thing that people give a shit about. So, fuck them. Billy Reinhardt is doing terrible. He's down atrocious, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you would love looking through his timeline. You should probably make a burner and do that. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great. It's great. I love it. It couldn't happen to a better team. Um, but yeah, look, I think um, I'm looking forward. I guess like, let's just finish up with this. Do you think the Knicks? Okay, there's let's say there's like four vets. I think that we would all assume are very reasonably on the table, right? So Kemba, Burks, Fournier, Noel. Who is still a Nick after the trade deadline? Um, Fournier. Out of those, I would say Fournier. And speaking of Noel, there's a follow-up I wanted to ask. But my guess is Fournier is the one who's still here. I think they try to move Burks. I think somebody will, will make a move. Especially, you know, if Cleveland is... I mean, I, I there's a lot of teams that have, like would give up that two seconds that you talked about. And Burks is a very useful player. Um, I think it'll suck for Tibbs. But I think, you know, the front office is going to do what's best for them. Um, 
I think they're not, they're both not going to find a take, taker for Fournier. And I think he gives you a little, like, that's the thing. Burks is a better player on a better contract. Um, so I would rather keep him. But I can also see the argument that Fournier has a little bit more of a unique skill set. Um, he's probably a little bit better of a shooter even than Burks. Uh, he's better moving without the ball. Um, he's a worse defender. Um, but he kind of has that, like, that's, you know, that, that, two-man game. He can do some secondary creation in ways that Burks... Burks is more similar to the other combo guards. Um, so I think Fortney ends up staying. I think they should try to trade Nerlens Noel. Um, I think you saw yesterday what he brings. Like, he's a good shot blocker. But the Knicks have... A, a, they have a much better center. They have... I, I would love to see Jericho Sims get involved. And Taj is like... I don't think Noel gives you so much more than Taj. Uh, and he hasn't been healthy. Um... And then, so Burks and Noel, I, I think, are gone. And then, yeah, I, I don't see any, I don't see any way the the front office can keep Kemba past the trade deadline. And if they do, it's because they couldn't even get a second. Like that second and Ish Smith thing, that should be a done deal. I would do that. Um, and so would Clyde, I guess, right? Um, but I just, I, I think that I do think that they're trying to keep his value up. I don't think that means Tibbs need to play him eight minutes in the third quarter, but um, Kemba's the one I'm pretty sure. I'd be surprised if he was still here past the trade deadline. Yeah, I think uh, I think Kemba and Burks will go. Um, that like all the reporting that Begley has said. Begley has like more or less. He basically said, "What he reported that the Knicks would not just give away Burks, but that they also want." But that was a week after he had reported that. Uh, that's the thing, right? It was a week before we reported um, the Knicks are looking to make room for the rookies. So well, if you're I in a posting was... GM, you're like, can I get Burks on a discount? So then, of course, the Knicks don't want people to think they're just trying to get rid of him, right? Well, so, it's also, yeah, and it's also the verbiage I thought was very specific. He was like, the Knicks won't just give him away to clear a roster spot. But that doesn't mean that they won't trade him. That's like a very different thing. They're not, But yes, they are not just going to give him away. You should not just give away a good player. You should try to extract value for a good player if you can. Um, and I think the other part that was interesting was there were, I don't remember who had it, but it was a report that uh, the Knicks were trying would like to attach another vet with Burks. So to me, reading between the lines, that's probably Kemba um, more so than Noel even, because I do think, I'm not sure if Noel will get traded, but I do think Noel might have some value and that there might be teams that are interested in him. Yeah, I mean, well, so I, I think you have, you brought up Mo Bamba recently, right? As yeah. a potential target. Um, if they trade for him, I definitely do not want Mo Bamba if we trade a first for him, sitting behind Nerlens Noel. Um, so, I mean, what do you, do you think, like, Noel in a first gets that done or something like that? Hello? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, would, I wouldn't trade a first for Bamba. You would trade a first for Bamba? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I was curious. You were the one that pushed for it. Uh, no, I, I heard you. Yeah. I don't yeah. think you'd have to trade much to get Bamba, to be honest. Um, I, mean, I would imagine they want a first, so that's oh, so you can heavily protect it. What they can want, what they want. I mean, I'll give him a couple seconds, maybe, but he hasn't been a very good player this year. And obviously, some of that is situation and lineups and all that kind of shit. But like, yeah, he can shoot the three, okay, but he doesn't have a ton of gravity. Um, 
He can put he's the ball on the floor more than our like. To her point, we just said that Knicks don't have any skilled players. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. More skills to the table than anyone on it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if I could do Noel in like two seconds for him, I'd probably do that. I think he, I think he's worth a a, a swing. Like he's worth. There's some interesting things there. He is different, so he gives you a different dimension than what the other Knicks centers give you because of his willingness and ability to shoot the three. Yeah, he's still an elite rim protector, right? So exactly. Um, yeah. He's actually he's kind of I mean, you get forty eight minutes of him and Mitchell Robinson. If Tibbs is gonna be butthurt about losing Burks, that's a nice consolation prize. Yeah, I think so. I I agree. Um and yeah, I mean the tip look, I got I wanted to say this about the Burke thing. Like, I actually think some of this I wouldn't want I don't even think the front office would necessarily be so aggressive about or wanting to get rid of Burks if Tibbs had just been more flexible throughout the year. But the fact that he's not flexible and that he has played Burke so much over other young guys instead of just staggering it more or making the minutes more equitable, um, yeah, you you got to get him out of here. I mean, that that was reinforced to me last night when he benched quickly uh, after five minutes and Burke's got however many minutes he did. Not because Burke's played bad or that I think he's bad, but it's like that's just unacceptable coaching to me at this point um, with where the Knicks are as a team in this season and just overall as a franchise, that's just unacceptable to me. Um, so the, the front office, they got to get rid of him. I think they got to move off of, I think Kem- Kemba's going to be gone one way or the other. Even if he's still here, they're just going to fucking shut him down there. He will not play a minute after the trade. Deadline. I'm convinced of that. Um, uh, Fournier is interesting. He shots the ball so well. I do wonder if there's a team that would give you value for him. Um, but I, I, mean, I, I know that I watched the game yesterday with a, a, fan, a friend who's a Lakers fan, and um, yeah, like I mean, I don't think his contract scares away a team like that. Um, obviously, a win now team, but I mean, who else do you see though, right? Like that would be willing to pay that much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Obviously, Cleveland is off the board now too because they used their expiring <laughs> to get Levert, so that's done. But yeah, I mean, it it, it would be interesting um, to see. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of, of ways they can go. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the... Yeah, that's the thing. Most of the top teams have their shooters, right? Um, I, 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 mean, I actually... I could see him, I could see Toronto liking Fournier. Um, you know, like because they have a lot of wings who are, like, not great shooters. Um, and then, like, in the West... Um, the Mavs already have a lot of players like him. I mean, the Nuggets, I think... As long as Murray is out, they could definitely use some secondary shot creation. There are some, there's definitely some teams, but I don't know that you would get that much value for them. Hundred percent. So we'll see. My prediction is Burks and Kemba. I think Noel probably just misses uh, misses the cut. I think he ends up staying, but I would be very happy if they moved him. To be honest, those three, if they move all three of those guys and get some draft capital for him, uh, and just don't bring back anybody who Tibbs would seriously consider playing over the young dudes, I'll be pretty happy. I still think the Knicks would have plenty of veteran talent on the roster between Randall, Rose, um, and Fournier. And Todd should still be here, too. Um, so that's not a big deal to me. I think people are really overstating this idea. So of like, oh, well, you just want to tank and play the kids. Like, well, I just also I think the kids are good. So that's kind of a big difference. And, um, you know, I don't want to tank. I just I would much rather just play them and see how it goes. Then. Yeah, the question is if you're getting two or three extra wins by playing the vets, which is a dubious proposition to begin with, it's not worth it, right? Yeah, so. exactly. It's just pointless. So 
Um, anybody complaining about that? And yeah, I, I yeah, it was two cares. I think you got like it, last night was just a perfect example. You got to get Tibbs can't he can't save himself. He can't control himself. He cannot. He he can't. He he will always err on the side of these vets half the time, even if he doesn't believe in them. Like you know, like I don't know about the showcase thing, but like the, I think the Kemba stuff was clearly like, you know, we know he doesn't like Kemba, like that he doesn't really view him as a valuable player. So to hit, play him as much as he has the last few games, even despite pretty obviously looking like shit, speaks to me of like a coach probably taking some orders from somewhere. Um, I I can't imagine that would stay the same after the trade deadline, even if he's here. But um, yeah, I mean, and I, I just think, I thought he coached so poorly last night, the second half. Um, I, anybody making an excuse for that is just, you know, you, you can't be like, well, he didn't have anybody he could go to when he actively chose to not. Like, if he if he's actively choosing not to play guys, you know, like, that's on him. He, he won't play Reddish. He just decided to cut quickly out of the rotation. Well, he didn't um, play his best player. He Like, the one change yeah, he made Mitch either. to yeah. put Noel in for Mitch. And in the second quarter, he I mean, Mitch barely played in the second quarter. That was also very strange because I thought Mitch played well, and he's obviously been playing really well. Yeah, I thought he coached a really, really bad game. And excusing it because of, oh, he didn't have guys. Like, yeah, he doesn't have guys because he doesn't play guys. Like, people are like, well, what do you want him to do? Play, play Deuce McBride? Sure. Like, what is Kemba doing that Deuce can't do? Deuce can't get his fucking shit packed by Malik Monk and fucking... Not, he cannot. Not, he can't throw the ball back up on a wide open layup. Yeah, like what? Like I don't understand that argument at all. Like, oh, you wanted to play Deuce over fucking Kemba? I'd rather him play Luka Samanich over Kemba. I'd rather him play anybody over Kemba at this point. Like, Kemba's terrible. I don't give a shit. I don't care who he plays over him. Just play anybody over him. Um, and yeah, like Reddish. Like, yeah, if you're not gonna, you can't sit there and bitch like, oh, well, he didn't have options. Guys ran out of gas. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're won't even like consider using some guy like if you're gonna cut quickly out after five minutes of the entire game and you will not even think about using reddish and or deuce like yeah that's on you as a coach i'm sorry you don't get a fucking excuse because you refuse to play guys you can sit there and tell me those guys wouldn't help you win maybe you're right but guess what you don't know that like we don't know that and last time last i checked deuce has helped us win a fucking game this year so that's kind of a bullshit argument to me all right uh I guess that's probably a good place to end. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug. Yeah, Stacy Patton 89 um, You can find me on Twitter. Um, and uh, I am doing, I've been doing a pod with uh, Matthew Miranda for Believe Sports. So we'll probably be dropping one um, Tuesday morning. Um, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. And uh, yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, I have nothing to plug specifically, but uh, I'll say we are potentially going to have a uh, trade deadline live stream. Uh, so look out for that. Uh, we will post details once we finalize how we're going to go about it. So um, that should be fun. But other than that, hope everybody has a great week. And uh, I will see everybody on, on Thursday.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.